everybody, how's it going? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Star Wars Time Show with one dude that wears a hat like a douche, and that's me, because I like showing off that that forehead, you know what I mean? <laughs> but hey, we're here, we're back for another 5 p.m. e-show on YouTube, that's right, we switched times up, right in the middle of dinner time on the East Coast for all you motherfuckers out there, so make sure to change your schedules, get it on your calendar, SWTS live at Star Wars Time Show on YouTube, Tuesdays 5 p.m. East, get some. I got my stream deck set up. Watch this shit. Those of you on the stream, you ready for this? Watch this. Boom. Eat it. Liked. Share. <laughs> subscribe. Notifications. See? I didn't waste my week off last week. Uh, actually, I waited all the way till today to do that, and it took way too long <laughs> to do that. But we've got, we've got overlays now. Wait for this shit. Hey, here are our new subs. We're honoring them after... These are our new subs from the past month. Here they are. Thanks to our new supporters, King Devi, Jeremiah Simmons, Boffa D's84, Jared Belzer. You guys get the point. We're testing new shit out, trying to make the stream a little more exciting. But you're here to listen to two dopes talk about Star Wars. True. That's what that's what I imagine, right Nick? I mean that, that's why they show up, I think. I think so. Um, or at least to make fun of us. You never know. I hear it. Let's see. Can you there hear he me is. now? There Good. he is. All right. Well, I, I probably should stop pushing buttons then cuz I'm guessing one of the buttons I push fucked it up. You still there? Yes, I am here. I am here. All can right. you hear me? Can yeah. you see let, me? Let me I can see. Just let me hit this button again th so we can figure out if this is what is fucking you up. Ready? Okay, there it is. Can you talk yet? Hello. Yeah, he can still talk. Okay, Hello. that's good. That's good. So that wasn't it. Maybe it was the, uh, the new subs thing. So we'll just leave that alone. Who knows? Who cares? We're here to talk Star Wars. Let's get down to it. Got to get used to this nighttime stuff. I hate when shit breaks like that. That drives me nuts. You know, Nick's, Nick's cat was there to honor all the new tech we added into the podcast, and sure shit, she's, it breaks. She's right here. She's, she's checking in on all of us. Yeah. That's weird. I don't know why you tuned out, but who cares? All right, so before we get into Star Wars, as you can see, real quick, I got a graphic up there. Shazam! Fury of the Gods. That's right, Shazam 2. Took the little one to go check it out last week. And real quickly, I can tell you, it's got the same level of cheese and corniness that the first one had, which makes it... A somewhat entertaining DCEU movie to go see. Okay, it's funny. Um, it, the story is not horrible. I will say their costumes are laughable looking. Like I, I've always thought the Shazam <laughs> costumes look dumb as shit, but these ones literally look like colored spandex with plastic metal wannabe gauntlets and boots. Nice. But if you like the first one, you're going to enjoy the second one, and I'll, I'll leave it at that. It's not a movie I think I'm going to go see again, Nick, in the theaters, uh, but it was not a waste of life when uh, the daughter and I checked it out. Okay, so, That's good. Um, but this week is, is Wick Week. I, w I was caught off guard. I did not know John Wick 4 was dropping this week. Huge fan of the franchise, uh, so I'll probably be checking that out on yeah. Thursday. In, in honor of uh, the the recently deceased Lance Reddick, unfortunately, for those of you who yeah, that's right, he just died. Was that last week? I think. Yeah, I think actually, I think it was just like a, yeah, over the weekend. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with his work, I mean, Lance Reddick is most known for uh, his work in The Wire, but he's also been in a ton of like video game stuff. He played Captain Zavala or Commander Zavala in 
Destiny. He's done a ton of voice work for video games. If you've ever seen the J.J. Abrams series Fringe, he was uh, in that as well in a prominent role. So um, he he's definitely made his way throughout the uh, the geekosphere, I guess you would say. And uh, he will be sorely missed. Only 60 years old. Yeah, well, like um, Nick yeah. said, he he ran the desk at the Continental. I mean, that's who John would always interface with to see the manager. You know what I mean? I'm, I've actually yes. started rewatching some of the movies. I, I can't believe, I mean, the John Wick franchise, dude, is almost 10 years old already. Yeah, so, no, it's, it's been I, around I don't know, for it, a while. I mean, I know every all of us that are getting older, time does increase. But when you factor in the pandemic, it really does feel like we we lost close to three years of life that just went like you know, like, like snapped it up, but yeah, we're here. very quickly. Yeah. Wick, Wick force coming out. So, uh, I, I don't know if they really promoted it too hard, but I, I just found out this week when I was looking, Hey, cause I like to go check out new movies on Thursdays. And I, I thought I was going to have a chance to finally see Creed three, but that popped up. I was like, fuck that. Got to go see my man Keanu snap some heads and stab some dudes with pencils. <laughs> All right. Man, yes, John Wick is the man, Keanu's the man, and yes, Keanu should be in Star Wars as Revan. We've all, um, as fans, have come to that agreement. We demand it, but it's probably never going to happen. <sighs> all right, man, my mind is all over the place right now, and I don't know why. I, I, I'm usually laser-focused in, so I guess that means we should just get into the goddamn topics. You know what I mean? Let's get in. Let's, yeah, let's no, dive no into to this exciting episode of uh the mandalorian and especially the bad batch <laughs> it, it was an this, odd this week one. you know <laughs> be, before we get into it though i will I, I you know we we always have to pat ourselves on the back or at least myself it's, it, it makes me feel special and all that fun stuff but we fucking nailed our predictions for the mandalorian i mean like dead nuts on i would say within 95 percent accuracy I mean, I I pretty much called it out. I was like, we're going to see the fucking dogfight. They're probably going to end up on the cave with the crazies. And we're probably going to check in with Dr. Pershing. Boom. All right. You guys need the address again for the awards. Okay. It's posted on the site. <laughs> but yeah, we're good. I mean, we're good at that type of shit. And no, I, we didn't know anything beforehand. We, we don't know any spoilers. We're just that fucking Star Wars intelligent. In so get some. Yeah, Zap, we'll be talking about the Damon Lindelof stuff. Thanks, buddy. But yeah, that, that's definitely on the docket. You must have missed the asshole announcer spending four minutes introducing all the topics for the show today. But um, yeah, so we kick ass. And, and I think we're going to have some great predictions for tomorrow's episode, too, because we, uh, Mr. Weathers, a.k.a. Grief Cardboard, kind of, you know, uh, shot his wad early and announced what we all think is going to be the title for episode four tomorrow, a.k.a. The Foundling. So we're going to have some thoughts on that as well. But before we get into breaking down The Mandalorian, S3, E3, and then that fucking Bad Batch episode, my God, I mean, I, I'm a fan of The Bad Batch. Um, I, I still won't call it filler because stuff did happen, but it was bad. It put the bad in Bad Batch, as Nick likes to say. Yeah, no, uh, it, it was a terrible episode. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that type of stuff. Um, but for, real quick, Nick, the, the one thing I did forget in pop culture talk, we, as in myself, young Nick, Sir Dork, and 1-6 Shooter, completed session zero of the SWTS D&D &D special. 
I might even be able to give you a preview of what our screen looks like. There it is. Yes, Nick and I still show up in our boxes. Just a quick tease, though. You're going to have to tune in, you know what I mean, if, if you want to see Session Zero. Nick's holding that back for a, a rainy day. Um, but it was, it was fun. It, it was new to me. I mean, I, I, I went into this Star Wars D&D experiment not knowing shit, never doing it before. Nick's calling out random dice names. He's like, grab your something this and six that, side this. And I'm like, whatever, pal, just tell me the shape and I'll, sh- I'll roll it. <laughs> uh, but it was it was fucking fun and i was i'll have to tell you what i wish nick would would do more of his creating either on the show or on the site because the dude wrote a very very detailed little opening story you should hear him uh, uh, enunciated in, in all the adjectives and in the way he sets the stage it, it's it's some cool shit like you can tell this guy is a fucking dungeon master um, uh, and then you had us noobs as in myself and Sir Dork and, and Trevor one six shooter. I mean, he, he, he's not full noob, but he's, he's damn near noob. You had us playing and, and trying to embody our characters and take on the roles and role play a bit. And some of that was a little rocky to start, but I feel like we, we hit our flow. I, I know I definitely really started finding my groove after I started drinking some beer that that made it even more fun, but it was a good time. What would you think, Nick? Did we do all right? Did we did we fuck your story up too bad? <laughs> no, I mean it, it all went very well. I think that you guys did a great job of like really putting yourselves like into character mode and like, you know, playing along with the story and stuff like that. It was really fun to get to see all of you like start to uh like you know, learn what not only the game is about, but also like learn what your character is about and like understand like how your characters interact with each other. So it was a super good time. Um, I was very uh, happy after the session. We finished it, you know, in in an ample amount of time. I know that we, uh, you know, we had a shorter story that we were working with for the session zero, just because I wanted to kind of give everybody an opportunity. He nailed the two hour window though. We had a pretty hard two hour window. I don't know how the fuck we finished in two hours. Cause yeah, you know, we, us three dopes, we're, we're all kind of meandering through it, not knowing what to do again. I don't even know what dice to roll or where to look on our character sheets. So it was impressive that we even got it done in, in two hours time. So. Yeah, no, it was a good time. And you know, that, like I, I enjoyed the creative writing and storytelling aspect of, oh, of, yeah. dun, he, of, he's, of D&D. He's, he's not too bad at it, people. I'll, <laughs> we'll leave the tease there. I mean, he, I don't want to say, I, you know, I didn't think Nick had any creativity in his body, <laughs> but I was definitely surprised. This, this kid has definitely practiced writing before, writing fantasy, sci-fi. Uh, so it was good it, and it was fun. And, you know, we, we, we kind of coalesced as a team and, I was being me. I'm, I'm definitely probably an even more amped up version of this character I play on the SWTS as my in-universe character. Uh, I didn't really want to listen to to strategies or good sense. I just wanted to fucking go. Like, let's yeah. do this. <laughs> I'm going to have that tattooed on my face. Uh, that, that That's how my character rolls. But we're, we're still not revealing them quite yet. Yeah. Um, we... We have tentatively placed the next episode in in April. Uh, the next episode, if all goes according to plan, we'll probably live stream it. Oh yeah. Um, and 
Uh, yeah, I think I think right now we're just waiting for some of the the concurrently running shows to come to an end. So possibly uh, after the Mandalorian finishes its a uh, its episodic run in April, uh, maybe the first real launch into uh, some Star Wars D and D live streams. So uh, keep your eyes out. Yeah, yeah. April is is kind of the the soft target we have in our minds right now, and I, and I think once once we clear through all this shit, it'll open up schedules a bit more. And who knows? Maybe you'll get a, a live stream Tuesday, and then a, a special Wednesday evening, something like that. Uh, but it it was cool. I mean, I, I, for my first foray into D and D, I can see why people have been playing it for for decades. Uh, and I can also see why people that don't know about it look at people that do play it and like, man, they're fucking super nerdy. <laughs> but it, honestly, that that we're all into this shit and it, it just allows you to embrace Star Wars even more. I mean, truly become Star Wars. So I, I can dig it. I can get behind that type of shit. I had fun. Uh, like I said, stay tuned. April. Hopefully going to have right. S1 going down. Maybe a better screen. Maybe not. Because that, that's what dro- drove me the most nuts was the technical shit. Because I'm mm-hmm. sitting here. Some mics were coming in poppy. Fucking camera screens <laughs> were like getting all Picasso QB throughout the stream. And, and, you know, luckily by five, I started drinking my Friday night beer. So I was like, yeah, who gives a shit? But that stuff hopefully will get ironed out. But we'll, we'll get ready to roll. So stay tuned for the SWTS D&D special. It's going to be myself, Young Nick, and like I said, uh, Sir Dork and One Six Shooter. Uh, y'all see a new trailer for Survivor? Yeah, I, I don't know if Nick saw the trailer. I, and they called it a story trailer. We're talking about Jedi Survivor. And I, mm. I'm going to tell you what, people. I got done watching. I was like, yep, that's my boy Milk Toast. I have zero interest in this game outside of I'm going to play it just because it's a Star Wars game. But for a story <laughs> trailer, I was like... This guy does not move my meter a bit. Calcast is still. I, I just I look at him and all I see is is milk toast. That's it. I'm very interested to see like what the story is around him because that's kind of what made Jedi Outcast or Jedi Fallen, Fallen Order, Order really interesting was the you know the story that was being told around him and then like just using him as kind of like a vehicle to to drive the narrative. Yeah, oh. it seems oh, Nick. Okay. It's he's gonna awake this this past being, and I assume this past being can use the force. Maybe. And it seems like this being's gonna be like, "Hey, how could you fucking force users let the Empire come to power?" And I think he's gonna like kind of become a secondary antagonist. Like, you fucked up. I'm old school mm-hmm. force user. I'm with the the Gendai or whatever that that are basically immortal. So we're gonna fuck everyone up. But I, I just. I don't know, man. I, I, I saw the teaser, like March 20th story trail. I'm like, all right, cool. I'll check it out. Checked it out. Tones posted in our Discord. I just like, Pfft. yeah. <laughs> I, I got more excited for a fuck, fucking Hogwarts legacy story trailer, and it, it's not even tied to Harry Potter. So, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. You know we'll be playing it. I mean, I, I, I'm going to get it day one. I, I'm, I'm sure I'll play it, and I know I'm going to complete it, but I, I just I, I don't have this this hole in my soul, like, Ooh, I can't wait to mid April, the end of April. I, I got to get my hands on Cal again. I just, no, I, I, I don't care. I don't care. If it was like Canaan. Sure. Give me fucking Canaan, a, a actually developed force user. Who's cool. Not Cal Kestis. 
Not Cal Kestis. Yeah, fuck Cal Kestis. Hey, Nick, so uh, <laughs> they're asking in here, Bees Mobile Auto Detailing, when mm-hmm. are we going to tease some character descriptions for D&D? Are, you, are we saving that for S1 straight up? So what I'm going to do is, actually, I, I I meant to reach out to this person before, um, but I do want to reach out to one of the artists in the in the community to see if we can get some some like official uh artistry for our characters and then if if we can get somebody to do that i have one person in mind for it right off the top of my head but if if anybody else may be interested <laughs> what, what um, he's doing right now he's doing a hint hint wink wink hint. super scoundrel yeah there, I, i'll if, just uh, say it if, if i don't i don't think devin's in here yet but i definitely want to reach out to devin or actually, he was. He was the first person here. I wanted to reach out to Devin to see if we may be able to 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 shoot him over some some character descriptions of our three uh, our three main heroes here, and see if we could get some mock-ups in his signature style, and then um, you know we can do a reveal that way. Because I Just think that would be. Just depends if he gives us the, the the cameo prices or not. I mean, that's right. Like, Yo, it, motherfuckers, I'm cameo. That, that's that's like yeah. 150 it's, a fucking it's character. Gonna, it's gonna cost. <laughs> Some dollars, but uh, yeah, I I I don't want to do it in a way that's just like, oh well, Matt yeah. is playing this guy and he's a right. this and that. I want to I want to have like a little bit of a visual pop to you it, know, so. dude. In my head, like, and I know we're not gonna do it, but this is why I'm fucking crazy. I, I, I like if we get our character art, I want to like alpha out the the mouth and eyes so I can overlay it over our actual faces. Then <laughs> 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 you see like the our eyes and then just the mouth moving, but the you know you have the oh, character man. overlay in front of you. I mean, come on, you know that'd be fucking great. But that would that, that's be way hilarious. Too much work. <laughs> that would be hilarious. I don't know how it would look on the stream, but that would be funny. It would look uh, fucking but yeah, stupid, so, but I, I think that that's kind of our thing. Yeah. So I, I but I do want to have a little bit of pomp and circumstance behind right. the the reveals I'm, I'm, of possible. I'm with you. I'm with if you. Possible because I think that like. I think that all of the guys did an incredible job of like coming up with characters that like are v- uh, not only like cool in terms of their personality and their backstory, because I've also gotten some backstory from from the people who are playing from Matt, Jared and, and Trevor. Um, but I do um, I do think that it would be fun to do like a, a uh, like a character art reveal on the stream. Yeah, ahead well, of, uh, that, OK, that, that's what I was going to say. Like once we set a date, maybe on on the show, we do the reveal and then like, hey, we're going to actually go through the game tomorrow. So tune in. Yeah. So um, I'll, I, I, I will reach out to Devin. If you're listening, keep an eye on your Instagram DMs. I'll reach out to you to see if we can get something set up and then I'll uh, I'll get some. That's that's also one thing that I put in for our our players to think about is like think of visual like a a good visual description of your character that we can hand off to a a a professional artiste to to make into something uh visual. So Yeah, the the only thing I'll tease is Jared and Trevor they're normal people. Me They're much taller than you. Yeah, me I'm not normal, as you've probably figured out, and neither is my D&D character. So here we go. <laughs> like, like Trevor and Jared, they, they actually wanted to try strategies and shit. My character is like, fuck it. Let's do this. All right. So <laughs> there you go. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Everyone's going to guess who I am. I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. But I, I, I may work on a costume as well because it, it wouldn't be too hard. I just need like a... A pillowcase. I'll dye it, cut out like a hole, 
ready to roll. And no, I'm not talking about making a, a clan helmet, you you sick fuckers. It yeah, would be yeah. it'd be like a black pillowcases, and I kind I kind of want like some red stripes on it. I've I've got it, Nick. I like when you give me you homework. Got, yeah. When you give me homework, it gets fucking completed. Like I, I could already, if Devin called up, I could lay down exactly what my dude should look like. There you um, go. All right, let, let's get into Mandalorian, dude. I know you got a, he's got a big dinner with the, not technically in-laws. Are you guys technically common law married at this point in Texas? I'm not 100% sure how those laws work in Texas, but we may be. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's just, that, that's cool. I mean, you guys have been together for, what, almost five 10 years, years now? Five? Okay. Five years, yeah, see, I'm I'm old and stupid. All right, dude. So <laughs> Mandalorian time. Let's get to it. You know, last week, like we said, we had some great prediction wins, and then we got to the longest episode of Mandalorian ever. And I think halfway through it, we all realized why it was so damn long because it essentially told two completely different stories. And as many people claimed, and and I'll give them credit, Justin, our boy SW Props was one of the first, but it really was to me, Nick. I called it Mandor Lian. All right. Say it with me. Mandor Mandor Lian. Not the Mandalorian, but Mandor Lian. Because it it was a it was a tale of two different shows in one. So we got traditional Mandalorian, high octane, kick ass, sweet bucket heads. And then we went to the more low key politics, Coruscant lifestyle feel that Andor gave us when we followed uh, Pershing and company. Yeah. So, um, go ahead, man. Why, why don't you talk about your, your initial thoughts? We always kind of give our basic review and then we dive deeper in with some of the top moments, things you may have missed. And of course, Easter eggs, references and all that good shit. Yeah. Uh, overall, I thought the episode was, was good. I don't think it was the best episode in the series. I also think that like the runtime may have been a little unjustified, um, you know, I, I know that this episode was split into, like Matt was saying, kind of two different stories. We were following uh, Bo and Din for a short amount of time in the beginning. And then we had basically the full Pershing story play out and then ending on Bo and Din again. Um, I, I really enjoyed the aspects of Coruscant that kind of showed off city life a little bit now that it's outside of the Imperial jurisdiction and the empire is no longer running the the day-to-day operations on the city i do wish we would have spent a little bit more time with with Bo and din but i know that uh the the entire show basically from here on out is probably going to be heavily focused on those two characters so um understandable that they gave pershing a little bit more space in this particular one that poor bastard uh, yeah i mean basically as soon as he walked into the um like the apartment housing complex for the, uh, what did they call them? The, the, am- the uh, amnesty, the amnesty, amnesty program. People. Yeah. And, 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 um, his, uh, shipmate on Gideon's ship recognized him and he recognized her. I was like, he's screwed. He's done. Like, this is not good. Like there's, so there's you, no like way. right off the bat. Cause that was one of my ha's. I mean, obviously it gets revealed at the end, but very early on, I was like, I have a feeling she's a double agent. Were, were yeah. you kind of the same? I, I didn't necessarily think double agent, but I definitely like latched on to the fact that like if she was on this ship with him and he was who he was, she's probably not going to have 
a, a real friend friendly disposition towards Pershing. Yeah. Like yeah, I, I, I assumed I wasn't, I wasn't sold on it. Like in my notes, I literally put female Imperial double agent question mark. All right. Just, just in case it was not revealed, but obviously we get the big reveal at the end of that thread. So I don't even know if she's a double agent though. Like I just think that she hates him. Like, oh, no, 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 it, no way. She's like in, in my mind, what she did that, at the behest of probably Gideon to prevent him or the new Republic from learning any more about what the empire was doing with cloning. Like that's yeah, just no, kind of nipping him in the bud just to yeah, new Republic that's, doesn't that's need to learn possible. any of your, any of your secrets Pershing. So see ya, we're going to liquefy yeah, no, your yeah, brain. That's, that's very possible. I didn't, I didn't necessarily read it that way. I almost looked at it as like a very personal grudge because the way that he said, oh, I didn't expect to see anybody from Moff Gideon's ship on here, was like, as soon as he saw her, he was worried. He was like, this, like, and then he was also, like, very kind of, not frightened, but he was very speculative when she was first being, like, nice to him. Like, it seemed like he was kind of caught off guard. So I could, I, I felt like there was already some animosity that he knew that she would have towards him. So, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is very possible that it is part of like a larger plan to like essentially yeah, wipe his brain. That's what I thought. Um, I mean, cause it, it, there are so, so many little things in passing conversation that if you're not goofy like me and turn on captions or watch it multiple times, you might've missed like, you know, when they're, when they're sitting there talking all the amnesty people, just casually the, the, the Asian guy's like, oh yeah, did you hear Gideon got away from the, the war tribunal? And the one guy's like, no, that's just... Their cover-up story, he got mind flayed. But no, he he probably did get away, and he probably is working with um, Aliyah Kane, who is the comms officer from his his old ship. Yeah. Um, but it, did did you make it through your review? Because I feel like we're we're no, we're, yeah. We're I mean, that's that's it for point. me. Like it was <laughs> okay. it was it was a fun episode. I felt like it was a little long. All right. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay, so for me, I'm kind of right with you. The The opening Mandalorian stuff, A, I loved it because I, I had a right prediction, and I am that shallow and narcissistic, so yes. Uh, but hey, a Star Wars dogfight is always a spectacle to behold, and this one was no different. It was fantastic. Uh, and then, you know, I, I did appreciate seeing Coruscant under the New Republic. That's something we've never seen. We've never seen it. We've never seen it. Literally, I've never yep. seen it in, in animation, live action, uh, maybe in some legend shit, but that's all legend, so who cares? So obviously, as a, 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 a super fan, that was awesome. It was great to get insights into Coruscanti life under the New Republic versus how we've seen it under the old, well, not the old Republic, but the, the Republic yeah. <laughs> and the Empire. And you can see how... Regardless of who's in control, the elites on Coruscant are unfazed. It's just like, it, just like in our, our, our real world. You know, anyone that's just got money coming out their ass. I, I'm, I'm in particular talking about the opera scenes. They're like, oh, who's in charge now? Is You know, those type of people. The bourgeoisie of, of mm-hmm. Star Wars. Um, but I, I think the most interesting aspect, Nick, especially after seeing Andor and seeing how the Empire was, you know, what it was doing on Coruscant, what it was doing on Ferrix and these other planets, 
you could see the contrast between how the new republic's running things and how the empire is but you can also see some similarities and why the new republic failed um what how do you feel about the amnesty program do you think it's shady in that they'll they'll actually like wipe their minds and that they put them in their their re-education center or are you like well if it was the empire they'd just blow up your planet if you oppose them so i guess it's better than that yeah i mean it's it's definitely like it's one of those situations where if you think back to when world war ii ended um and like what happened with all of the German scientists or like even the German scientists that defected from the, the German, uh, like the German army or the German science program before World War II ended, like they were all kind of treated in a similar way. Um, you know, there were a lot of those scientists that went and worked on the Manhattan Project that helped to develop the first uh, nuclear bomb. But there was also a lot of those scientists that did kind of go into not really an, I mean, like, I don't believe it was an amnesty program, but it was definitely like a, like a program that was meant to like monitor them and to, to ensure that they weren't like, you know, secretly working for like a clandestine, uh, yeah. German so, I mean, government. Did, did, so did you think it was fucked up that the new Republic was doing that and, and how, you know, they make them all live together. They, they, it's kind of like clones. They all have numbers and designations. They don't really yeah. use names or yeah, do you still would, look at it as like, Hey, it, it's better than what the empire would have done. And they're giving these people that some may have been conscripted, some join willingly. They are giving them a second chance. So that's nice. But I could also see how this type of stuff may have started to cause a little resentment, which, you know, ultimately would bleed into the rise of the first order and the continuation of the remnants, so on and so forth. Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, I think that you just like allow them to, like you, you give them a choice. It's like, look, you have the opportunity to live as a free person. So I don't, I don't really love how they like basically shove them all into one housing facility. I mean, it's meant to monitor them. And I think that it was kind of a, it was definitely a reaction to like, we can't let these people potentially start a, a, a another imperial like underground government. Well, so I, I wasn't mean, you're right. Cause, fan. cause, cause look what's already happened. I mean, yeah, yeah, Kane, I mean, Elia, it, and that was the best at the end when, when her boss is like, you know what? Not everyone turns out a success story it's, like yeah. you. And she's like, well, yeah, because I'm still working for the Empire and I'm fucking you guys over. Yeah. Idiots. So, I mean, <laughs> if anything, like the story, like what has happened with uh, with Elliot Kane just shows that the, like what you do in those situations, like what they're doing right now with like the you know, the, the it's not specific perfect. housing facility, it, it's not going to work. Like it doesn't yeah. work when you put people in situations like that. If you think that somebody is a threat to national security, which a lot of these people could be, I mean, like it's not surprising to see somebody like Elliot Kane turn, turn against the new Republic and still work for the empire. Like if you think that somebody is a threat to national security or to galactic security, you know, like you just have to either put them on trial and then, you know, imprison them or or you mind flay just, them on, yeah, on 10 or, or with might, the it's, orange it's, beam it's, it's like a, it's a really hard thing and it, it's it's a reason why i've never ever wanted to run a government work in a government anything like that because trying to figure out what you do with people like that because you could say like hey you just let them free and if they if they do bad things again then you prosecute them and you bring them to justice but it's also like it's in some cases it's guaranteed that these people are going to do 
uh, bad things again. So I and mean, that, it, it was definitely crazy thing, not because yeah. she rose through the ranks of their security forces. Like she's an amnesty yeah. officer. Like she is a security officer in the amnesty program. So she pulled the wool over all of their eyes, which is interesting. Yeah. And, and I dig the character. I mean, she was briefly featured in, in season two on Gideon's cruiser. Uh, didn't have a, a huge role. More, she was like one of the speaking officers, uh, but it does seem like she's becoming uh, more of a main, at least in my opinion, for Gideon and his forces within the New Republic. Um, just yeah. to kind of wrap my overall review, um, I enjoyed the the long run time, but I do, I do think the Pershing stuff dragged a bit. Uh, they they, they mm-hmm. spent too much time on certain scenes. It, it could have been cut a little bit quicker to just make it, it, it flow a bit more smooth. But in the end, with those bookends we had, I came, I came away happy. Then I watched Bad Batch, and I was like, fuck. But it we'll, was a we'll, good we'll episode overall, for sure. But yeah, yeah. Ba- yeah the, the Bad Batch one, I barely paid attention. It, it was, it was um, I hate to say this, but it was really terrible. And I, I'm yeah. still not going to call it filler, like I said. I mean, it, it's not filler, but it was just, it was not good. It was not good, but... We'll save that. We're not there yet. We're still on Mandalorian. So, yeah, th- this episode was was really cool. Uh, it was very unique for the, the Mandalorian franchise, if anything else, because we, we've we never really had an episode of that length nor of that style where it went from bing, bang, boom, yeah, blowing up castles to sucking, really on, slowing down. sucking on lollipops in, in Monument Plaza and stuff like that. So, yeah. all right. Let's go through some of the top moments and some of the haws I had to see if Nick can uh, clarify my Star Wars life for me. So starting with the top moments here, obviously, my friends, we got to go with that dogfight to kick things off. It was just like I called. It was because of Bo-Katan. It had nothing to do with Din. She's, you know, she, like we said last week, for the past two or three years, she's been kicking the Remnant Empire hornet's nest and... She's on their fucking radar at this point in time. Now, yeah. as she said, it's probably not Gideon or a common warlord. Um, I, I don't think this is Thrawn. I really don't think Thrawn is, is going to be anything in this season outside of maybe a stinger, like Nick, Nick kind of propositioned at, at the beginning of the of this season. But we got that right. But it, who cares if we got it right? It was just it was one of the better Star Wars dogfights in recent memory. It, it had ample time to it. It started in atmosphere, went to space, and then uh, back to atmosphere, going through mm-hmm. caverns, Din fucking Tom cruising out of the gauntlet and, and landing on his ship just in time, doing his patented maneuver, you know, the Batman Batwing move where you go up and you almost stall out and come back down and shoot your enemies. It, it was fucking awesome. It, it, like I said, it was one of the best dogfights I can uh, remember in recent Star Wars memory. So it was, it was, it was really cool. It was really cool. It was a strong start to the episode and it really like set the tone for, I mean, it really set the tone now for like what Bo Katan is up against. And it also like gives a little bit of, uh, a little bit of explanation to what like comes later in this episode. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah big she's, fan of the she's, she's a bit, bit, uh, on her own at this point in time. I think, I think that's safe to say she is, she is, is just like Din now, which is crazy, but we'll, we'll get there. So that was, that was the first top moment. And once again, Bo-Katan Kreese showing that she is 
this much better, if not this much better, if you're on the live stream, you can see my hands, than Mr. Din Djarin. I, I mean, she, we, we talked last week, she's got the melee skills down, way better with the Darksaber, better with her pistols, better with her jetpack, better at swimming, better looking. And uh, now she's just as capable as a Starfighter pilot. Even has a few of her own dead stick moves. I love that when she's like flipped around like blah blah and then she starts to free fall yeah. and kicks it back in and poor r5 keeps falling over left and right but good stuff there from miss crease um next up and you know we we kind of talked about this but i i did like the the amnesty groups drink scene where where we, we were pershing finally you know heads back to the amnesty hotel or whatever you want to call it and they're all sitting there drinking nick and i i just think it was a it was a great little conversation to hear what former Imperials think about their new situation in life. And, and as we said, for the most part, they all seem pretty fucking happy. They're like, this is kick ass. Like, imagine what the Empire would have done if, if roles were reversed. But, you know, and here we learned about the, the, the New Republic's Reintegration Institute. And that's where they go first. And God knows what they do there before they're released to the amnesty program. Uh, we learned, you know, um, Elia made it from from Gideon's ship. Uh, you learned the little nugget about Gideon possibly getting away. So like I said, if you were paying attention or had those closed captions on, this mostly dialogue-heavy scene, to me, was very enlightening about the current state of the New Republic, how Pershing's feeling, you know, what what Kane is is feeling, and really, what, what are Imperials feeling seven, nine years after the fall of the empire and and for the most part i don't know if you you saw something different they they seem pleased dare i say happy grateful to be in their position currently yeah i mean it's it's hard not to be because like the other option is like all right if you're not in this amnesty program and you're not like you know i guess in like a rehabilitative type of situation within the new republic then you're either likely in jail, dead, or on the run. And I mean, like, for 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 people who were a part of the the empire and for people who were kind of working in the empire against their own will, because as we know, a lot of the imperial soldiers and the imperial workers towards the end of the reign of the empire were conscripted. Like, they were forced to work for the empire. Um, you know, so... Having those other three options as your only other potential ways of living at the moment don't seem very exciting. You know, like uh, trying to scrape together a living in the outer rim by running from different security forces that may be after you or trying to, to join the underground, especially as somebody who may have only been like a conscripted maintenance worker for the the Empire does not sound fun. And then obviously... Being in jail or dead is not a great option either. So if I was in in their position too, aside from pain, I'd be like, hey man, you know, like I can I can deal with, you know, having to go through this this amnesty and rehabilitation program and then just like get my life back on track after having a, a very probably what was very a traumatic uh stint there yeah in, i mean they, the they're empires. like hey they, they they like the food for the most part better outside of the biscuits right yeah. the empire has <laughs> the best biscuits apparently uh, they like their living quarters the situation so i guess kind of a random question do you think any of those actors in that scene because it was extended can they now turn it into 
con cash? I don't know, because like, like they they none all of had them, specific designations. Yeah, you I was gonna say, know. but like none of them had like real names. You had like G fifty eight <laughs> or whatever. I mean, and like honestly, it was probably the names of their their hotel or their bunk numbers or something like that. Um. But yeah, I don't. I don't know if these people got enough time to hit the yeah, concert. I just, I I'm sure wondered. they'll try. But yeah, I mean, you just you never know, dude. I mean, before you know it, Justin and Devin are going to sign them to their their promo company, Elevator, whatever, and they're they're going to be going around to the Rhode Island Comic Con, hey, selling pictures and cigs. I'm sure that that some people will definitely like take the opportunity to meet and greet and get an <laughs> autograph and stuff like Fuck that. But yeah. I, I do. Th- if they show back up in in episode in in the next that, episode then they're or later, so, in the they're season, getting an action figure, right? Like if they show yeah, up then, again, we're getting some amnesty action figures. Then it makes more sense. But right now, to me, it's just like, oh yeah, you're 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 H nine H ninety two, whatever it is. Like okay, hut well, hut yeah. hut. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, th- this is a role I would I would love to have in Star Wars. Just something like this, like some yeah, schmo. just like a a quick speaking role, but not anything that's like you know, main character driven or something like that. So, All right. So, yeah, I, I mean, like I said, it was all the Pershing stuff was slow, but it was very informative. And, you know, some people that are used to the rock and roll feel of or vibes of Mando might have been put off by it. But I, I did enjoy some of these conversations, uh, including the next top moment I had here when um, um, Elia, Eli, whatever, how, Kane, we'll just say Kane, and Pershing were in Monument Plaza, which was awesome. But Nick, did you ever know anything about Umate, the no. the mountain? Oh okay. wait, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I I did know of it because I believe it popped up in another season of something when they were talking about Coruscant. I knew, or actually, I think it was in a book that I read. Okay. Um, but I did know about Mount Umat, like Umate, Umate, however they said it. Um, and I knew that they did take like the peak of it and essentially like, you know, expose it the way that they did. Yeah, and, I just, I mean, listen, th- this, this just goes to show you how much I love Star Wars and like the nitty gritty, but I absolutely loved this little story of, of Umate because my brain just started going nuts thinking like, just, just think about that people, that, 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 that planet is so built up that the only remaining aspect of its landscape is essentially, you know, like the, the tip of Kilimanjaro. Yeah. So the, the, the planet is so built up. You just have one little rock sticking out, but underneath it, that's what, that's what got me going. Like envision what's underneath. It's a whole fucking mountain system. And, and I, you know, reading Wikipedia, apparently Umate, like on Coruscant, it's people live in it. There's tunnels through it, you know, underneath this platform, I just found I love this type of shit. I think it's probably throwaway lore to most people, but I'm just like just trying to envision like over the the thousands and millions of years that Coruscant has been built up. It used to be an actual fucking planet with mountains and and mud and grass, but this is all you can see is just a little tiny tip of the tallest peak on that planet before it became whatever they called it, like the Una Unatropolis or whatever the fuck it is. Um, but apparently, Nick, it, it, at least Monument Plaza has been featured in the Clone Wars. I believe it was when Satine and Kenobi were back on Coruscant. And I think they named it Umate from my research via the High Republic. I, I think it got a little more lore added to it recently in the High Republic novels. 
Um, but I, I just, I dig this type of shit. And we're literally staring at a rock on the live stream, but I don't know. I just, that's the type of lure that, that gets me waking up way too early on Wednesdays to watch super short uh, episodes of The Mandalorian, which is what we're <laughs> all in store for tomorrow. Oh, speaking of tomorrow, Nick, we actually got some feedback, some email. I called for it. It came from a, a, a fan called Rye, and they were great. They're like, listen, you're fucking awesome. Quit bitching about being losers, you fucking losers. And they're like, but your biggest problem is you release new episodes of the show the day a new Star Wars episode comes out, so you're a week behind. I'm like, hey, we, we've, we've realized this. Maybe one of these days I can convince myself to just move them to Wednesday nights. Who knows? But I do understand that feedback. It just It is what it is. If you truly love us and you think we have good commentary, hopefully you can wait and listen to what we, we, we thought about last week's episode. Or you can just get on fucking YouTube every Wednesday and at least get early preview of what the SWTS is going to be talking about. So anyways, Umate, we love you. I wish I could uh, kind of scratch my name into it. I also dug those <laughs> those glowing fucking popsicles. Those are pretty Yeah, cool. I was going to say, that was that was very interesting. I wonder if, like, the popsicles themselves glow. Or it's a stick, yeah. If it's, a, if it's just, like a, like, a light in there or something like that, yeah. All right, and then the final top moment that I kind of notated was uh, the Bowen Din fun welcome back is how I, I kind of wrote it down. And I don't know, man. I was... I, I want to talk about Bo in particular uh, here in a little yeah. bit because we got notes and we actually got insights from Katie herself. So I, I was thinking here, Nick and I were going to have to spin our tires on what is Bo actually thinking? Well, Katie told us exactly how she acted it and what she's thinking. Sure, Katie may be trying to keep us off the trail, but I, 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 I tend to believe Sackoff here. But before we get into that, I, I just I really appreciate this scene. First, again, for how shitty the cave dwellers look at, at anyone else that isn't them. Like, Din shows up. He's done something no other Mandalorian has done for decades. He already saved their asses during their, their knighting ceremony. And they still, like, Pass comes out. He's like, what the fuck are you doing here, yeah, you like, piece of shit? Why are you here? Yeah. And then they also just don't, like, this is, like, if you, for some reason, Taylor and I watch a lot of cult documentaries. We watch a lot of cult documentaries. Waco comes out, like, today, doesn't it? Yeah, it comes out soon. On, but, like, we've already watched, like, two documentaries on Waco even before this one came out. And then like that is typical cult behavior because what cults do is like they will say like this is how you reach salvation. But they they know in their head like, well, you can't do this. It's, it's an impossible <laughs> thing to accomplish. That's what cult leaders do. But then when somebody does it, they move the ball. They move the stick. They're like, oh, you did that. Well, really? Yeah, this is what you need to do. Yeah, I mean, so if when armor he comes wasn't there, they weren't getting into the club again. No, no, because that's exactly what happened. He comes back and he's like, I bathed in the living waters. I'm, I'm redeemed. <laughs> and they're like, we don't believe you. You can't do it. It's impossible. It's impossible to do that. Then you have Bo that comes in and says like, I was there. I saw him. And they're like, you're an apostate too. What does it matter if you were there? And then he's like, I got the, I got the water. I got the water right here. And then it wasn't until <laughs> the armorer comes in and says like, nope, he actually did it. That they actually believed him. Like, that is, that is a, like, typical culture. Well, well even that, then, like, like 
Did you see, like, and I don't know if he's more upset about Din getting back or Bo getting in, but did you see they, they specifically focus on Paz after yeah. she knighted them both? And, and everyone else is like, yeah, welcome. They're like, you know, giving her shoulder taps and like, yeah, kick ass. Welcome to the club. Paz is just kind of sitting there like, fuck. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, like, Paz obviously knows who Bo-Katan is, clearly. I mean, they, they you know... They have a shared history. Um, but I also think that like the, the armorer definitely knows who Bo-Katan is as well. I don't know if anybody else does. So what was interesting there is like, that's also some like typical cult shit is like, sometimes you end up in a cult and you don't even know that you did. And that's yeah. what happened to Bo-Katan. Yeah, that's probably a good point. Cause I, you know, a lot of these people were probably foundlings, uh, didn't really know of the, the Kree's dynasty on, on yeah. Mandalore. Yeah, I'm, uh, dude, I'm here's you kind of brought it up, so let's get into it. Does everyone remember Corky? It's a fucking terrible name, but it's the name of Bo and Satine's nephew in the Clone Wars. It's not Bo's kid, it's not Satine's kid. So, how the fuck do they have a nephew? Could the armorer be a, a crease of some sort? Could be. I mean, that is something that we discussed prior. Uh, I, I think actually I, we talked I, about it last week. Well, I, I think we, we, we have for her so far, we're like, maybe she's related. Maybe she's a, a child of the Death Watch, you know, a Rook Cash child or probably not a Vizsla because we got a Vizsla kid in there. Yeah. Or didn't we uh, maybe weeks ago also kind of put out there that could she potentially still be working for the remnant with her little horns on her fucking helmet yeah. and that type of shit? It's like, we, we definitely assume that like either she, she had a link to the mall DeLoreans during the time of the purge and during the, well, during the time of the siege of Mandalore, um, or she, she could be working with the remnant. The remnant ah. side is so hard to, to, to judge right now because I don't even know who in the remnant aside from Gideon could be like pulling well, her string. Right. So here's, here's the only one reason why she technically could be working for the remnant. And if you think about it, who has helped keep people away from Mandalore? The children I mean, of the watch with their stories. Yeah. It's poison. It's bad. Yeah, it's don't go poison. there. You'll die. Yeah. So she's been telling that to everyone, keeping them away, keeping Mandalorians separate, keeping them in factions, keeping them still kind of not liking each other. So you have that perspective with her potentially being a, a bad actor. But I, I keep going back to who the fuck was Corky's parents? Like, how do Bo and Satine have a nephew and, and it's not either of their kid? So yeah. that, that, I think, opens the door to, I don't know, maybe the dad hid the, the, the other Kree's kid away for whatever reason. It could have been like I mean, a bastard kid. I don't know. It, it, could it have been like a, a foundling? Because even back then, they still had foundlings, you know? I mean, yeah, Django was. Yeah, I mean, Django was a foundling, and that was all clearly pre imperial, yep. you know, pre siege of Mandalore, yep. pre all of that stuff. So maybe like just like you would have like an adopted son in a family that is technically nephews with, you know, other family members. So I mean, may it could be a foundling. And, and, and then also, like, if you think about it from that angle, we just talked about the fact that the next episode is called the foundling. It could be another like dual meaning type of title. Cause this one was technically called the convert. Right. And you're, you're, you're a wise young Nick and, and yeah. this episode too had dual meaning, right? It was, it was dual Bo meaning. I mean, you had Bo Pershing. And Pershing. Yeah, exactly. You had, you had 
Pershing, who was trying to become like a good citizen for the new republic. I mean, granted, the way that he was trying to go about it by skirting the rules and 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 and, and reinstituting a cloning program that even by today's standards. Uh, cloning is a very morally gray type of area. Bro, and, he and, just and, wanted and, to grow a new organ for his fucking mom. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you had the Bo-Katan side, which, uh, who, who un, unbeknownst to her became a convert. <laughs> like, um, so it's very possible that the next episode could also have that type of thing where we, we discover, you know, maybe we discover the origins of this nephew that uh, that Bo and Satine had without having any other siblings could be a foundling, and then also discussing the the history of uh, of little Grogu. Given the episode's runtime, highly unlikely. It's only yeah. a thirty minute long it's, episode. It's going to be oh. quick, but I do. I, let, let's save it for the speculation, but we're we're in line on that for sure. So just kind of ra- rounding out the top moment here with with Bo. In the ceremony and, and, and how she essentially is following the creed at this point in time. You know, obviously, Nick, when I when I first watched the scene play out and really the whole episode right from the get go, when she doesn't tell him, I'm like, OK, what what's what's her angle? Is, is she truly trying to undermine him? Is she keeping this close to the vest for something else? Whatever. Your home gets blown up. She she now is just like Din, Amanda without a home. They go back to the nut jobs and she is fully accepted into the clan and it almost seemed like she was happy about it i know she's wearing a fucking helmet but it's not like she was like no fuck you i'm out of here she even said listen i don't believe in the way and the armor's like it doesn't matter have you taken your helmet off have you bathed in the waters you're falling the fucking creed lady and you're welcome here as long as you want you can leave when you want and she seemed to embrace them accepting her into the group Embrace is a tough way for me to say it because like when they were reciting their this is whatever their recitations were, she was definitely silent. So like for me, I'm thinking this is the way that I'm thinking about it. We've we already know that Tosca and Axe have gone off on their own and abandoned her. We also know that the only place that she called home just got destroyed. And she knows that there are a ton of, of Imperial remnant soldiers looking for her. So in her mind, she's like, Hey, if these people are offering me free housing and protection, I'll take it. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say their words. I'm not going to, you know, uh, I'm not going to, uh, you know, she's fall in line with the their beliefs so far. Yeah. But, but she's also like, I will take their free uh, protection and their free housing. <laughs> like, I think that because there's no there's nowhere else for her to go. Where, where like at this point, Kalaval is completely destroyed. She can't go back to Axe and in Casca because she doesn't have the Darksaber and that's all that they respect. She can't go back to Mandalore because that place is completely shelled out. Like, where else does she have to go? Yeah, I mean, Rook, Bat's making a good point here in the stream. Hasn't that been kind of a struggle for Bo throughout her history, just wanting to belong? And I, I agree. And and uh, we're going to do something we don't usually do because we're on this. I'm going to jump to Katie's interview real quick, then we'll come back and finish the eggs and references. But I, at least when I watched this episode, Nick, I was like, man, is Bo kind of getting into this just because of her situation or does she still have a long game but then katie came out and and clarified some things so real quick if you'll let me everyone let's go ahead and check out this um interview from from katie here 
So um, this is Katie Sackhoff talking to EW specifically about this episode and her character's decisions. And, uh, you know, they, they essentially asked, they're like, listen, were you, when you chose not to reveal Din, reveal to Din what you saw underwater, you, were you doing that to be shady? Was it purposeful? Or were there other intentions? And here's what she says. She, as in Bo, doesn't trust necessarily what she saw. She might have thought she imagined it. There's so many things that she's trying to process in her head that I don't necessarily think that it's something that she wants to tell anyone about right now. So she's saying the reason she didn't, Bo doesn't tell Din is because Bo herself was kind of shell-shocked and like, did that just fucking happen? I'm not jumping back in the, in the water to verify, but, you know, we, we've all had those moments before where you might... You might be in the dark or you might get scared and you think you saw something and then your brain starts to convince you, did I see it? Nah, I, I couldn't have seen that. And it sounds like that's what how Katie is describing Bo during that scene. Bullshit or not? I mean, I think obviously she's not going to give up anything that like really sell, like really gives a direction into the character, like the way that the character is going to play out for the rest of the, the season. Um, but I do think that that like, that's probably highly likely that like, she, she just jumped into a, like a, a murky water system and then saw this giant thing that's supposed to be extinct for millennia. So she probably is like questioning herself. It's like, did I really see that? Or is that just some shit that I made up in my head because of where I am and what this guy's been talking about exactly. the entire time like, I've been like around Din, Din's brainwashing and gaslighting is starting to get to her. Yeah, so um, I, I I could buy that as like a legitimate state of mind for Bo Katan at the time because she's like, like what else does she like? She's seen so much stuff happen around her, and like she doesn't even know who to trust personally yes, anymore. Yes, that, that's I think everyone's got to remember. Like Bo Katan is in a really bad state right now. I mean, she has done yeah. nothing but fail throughout her adult life, not getting the dark saber from getting being the most recent failure, losing her followers and essentially sitting at home on her throne, feeling sorry for herself. And I just, I don't, I, I am kind of buying into what Katie's saying at first, when I finished watching the episode, I was like, damn, Bo really is playing a long game here. But I, I do, I think Bo is in like such a state of change right now. There's been so much chaos brought into her life via Din and Grogu that I think she's just like, you know what? I'm going to go for this fucking ride. So far, this crazy guy has actually led to me and exposed some pretty important things about my culture to me. So his goofy beliefs may not be that far off. Yeah. So here, here's what yeah. she says about being fully accepted into the watch, even after she shit talked them and essentially said they were psychos. Right. I mean, that she said that in season two, like, oh, you're with those nut jobs. I mean, clearly she does not like them. Calls him a cult. And um, essentially, here's what Katie said. And she truly is alone and has nowhere to go. So like Nick, Nick was kind of setting up. To be immediately accepted by people is new for her. She may or may not be trying to figure out if that's a place where she should potentially stay. Yeah. And, and that reads to me like, again, man, I've watched so much cult shit, but like, that is how you get into one. You're, you're listless. You have no direction. You have nobody that you can trust. You have nobody that you can really rely on in terms of like, you know, going to somebody to be able to talk to or having trust in somebody. So like the first group of people that are like, Hey man, 
like you you are welcome here you just jump right into like that is like that is how cults prey on people they prey on people who have nowhere else to go and who have no prospects for their future and that is the exact state that she is in right now that Bo is in right now her home just got destroyed she just saw something that she doesn't believe she saw or thought has been extinct for millions of years and she just went back to her planet for the first time after thinking it was yeah. shit and then she but the, not only that it's just like when you go back to your planet that you remember for your entire life being this place where you were raised that you that put so much and not only that where you were raised but like you've put all of your life after the destruction of Mandalore into like rebuilding this place and you go to it and you see the state that it's in, it traumatizes you. And like Bo-Katan is now just in a position to where she's like, holy shit, man. Like I, right now I just need some kind of stability. Like I don't care if it's stability from like these psychopaths who, you know, like are, are clearly like off their rocker, but like I need some kind of stability. And if they're going to give it to me, then See, Maybe I just take it. There's a part of me, dude, and, and trust me, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, she did call him a cult, so she did think they were psychos. But there's a part of me now where I, I could see her, as you're saying, because now she's in it, I could see her starting to embrace the way. Because it is, I mean, you got you to gotta admit, as goofy as he is and as bunker boy as he is, Din has shown her that the way can lead to revelations for Mandalorians that her way was not providing. You know what I mean? So it's like the, the, the cult philosophy, as odd as it is, has led her to realize things that she never would have come across herself if she didn't get mixed up in Din's cult. Look, I'm going to tell you this right now. If this season ends up going in a direction where it's like the cult was right, uh, the, the message that is being said through the Mandalorian of anti-government and pro-religion is really bad. Like... <laughs> It's just, it's just a bad well, message. Hey, their religion is guns, though. So, I mean, it, it's guns, wearing a helmet, and saying this is the way. That's it. Like, I, I could almost get into that type of religion. If, if I had to worship guns and wear a helmet all the time, may not be a bad thing. And here's, here's the last quote that really made me reconsider where I think Bo is going to end up this year. And, and I don't think she is looking for some sort of power grab. So she was asked about Bo's ambitions at this point in time and if she still wants to be the leader of Mandalore. And Katie said, I truly believe at this point that she hopes someone else steps up. She doesn't want the responsibility. The responsibility cost her everything. Leading didn't work, so maybe fitting in will. Yeah, exactly. That not a good mindset. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, if you are in a situation like Bo-Katan is, don't find yourself in a situation where it's like, well, I should probably just follow whoever's nice to me. Don't do that. Like it is it. She is readily admitting in this interview that Bo-Katan is in a bad mindset and that she is just looking for comfortability and for, for people to tell her what puppy. to do. She's a lost yeah. puppy is what she's saying. Like and For people to tell her what to it, do. And I that is it. not a not a good situation. Because there was, I mean, there's a point in time I was thinking, you know, Bo was laying low, was going to make another plunge, but it, this makes sense. And, and I kind of like that she's probably not going to be the one going for a power grab. I, I could see that being Paz, uh, maybe Axe and Casca. I know uh, some of the MSW leaks, some Bestman Bulletin stuff has said, like, listen, it, it appears that someone that looks like Bo Katan gets in a tussle with 
some people that look like Axe and Casca. So you, you could see that now, like if they find them to like, hey, let, let's all link up. We need we can go back to Mandalore. And they're like, what the fuck are you doing with these people now? Yeah. Like, fuck her you. Friend, like actually, it, and then they have like one of the fights we've been predicting between yeah. Mandalore versus Mandalorians. Yeah. I mean, that that would be perfectly in line with cult behavior. You all fight right. your friends that are trying to save you. <laughs> so it's. Things it's are not looking good for Bo-Katan. <laughs> it, it, it's interesting. And I don't know, man. I mean, I think when everything's all said and done by the end of this season, Bo-Katan may be like a new fan favorite character or the character everyone's like, holy shit, can you believe what her character went through in this season and how she came out on the other side? I, I'm, I'm more intrigued now in seeing where Bo ends up than I am Din. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I'm I I've always been a fan of the journey that we were following with with Bo, and I think that like you know the 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 adventures that we go on with with Dan and stuff like that are fun too. But like I was I was a proponent of after season two, like right. hey, keep the name, change the focus, keep the name, <laughs> Just, the Mandalorian. Nick wanted Din dead at the end of season one, Just I, like a like, toast. Yeah, like he's fun to follow around because he's a goofy character that's got this little baby with him. Like oh cool, like but he has no. Like he has no direction outside of what people tell him to do. Whereas like the story that's being told with Bo is a continuation of what we've been following for decades. And to like, I'm way more interested to see like where her story goes and potentially where her story like comes to a sunset than I am to follow Din around to see like what shenanigans he gets into. I think that, that, that Bo-Katan story is way more interesting and it's it, yeah. like, not even just from her personal perspective, but from the perspective of how her journey will affect the entirety of Mandalorian culture. Like, I think that 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 there is just a really cool angle to that, and I'm I'm much more interested in that than like, because like, what's like, tell me right now, like, what is Din's story? Like, what 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 is Din's like? It's it's completed. Like, line? literally, he's. He's completed his his mission. It's over. Like it, it's it's done. He's back in the cult. Like from yeah, here, so it's, it's all new. That that's why I loved what they did in episode two. They they essentially are like, oh yeah, Din, your your season two point one is done. You are now a new man. You're back in the cult. You've got your foundling. The world is your oyster. I'm assuming he's gonna make a push for. Hey, let's go back to Mandalore. I was there. It works. But you never know. He could just go back to, hey, I'm just going to fuck around with the green guy and we're going to bounty hunt. We know that's not what's going to happen. Obviously, stuff is going to keep pushing them towards a reunification of some sorts of Mandalorians on Mandalore. Um, but I I am um, like Din's my guy. We love him. OK, he's awesome. But I, I am more interested to see what happens. Fuck with Bo, the armorer and Paz than what happens with Din, because to me, they're the ones that have the deeper history of the Mandalorian stuff. All right. I, I don't think any of these, any of them were foundlings. Clearly um, they all have roots on proper Mandalore, at least Concord, Don shit like that. Concordia, whatever, which one? Um, I don't know. I just, I, I do see the, the threat at this point being, this is going to sound weird. Non-cult <laughs> Mandos and Paz. Yeah, I, I, I just I think Paz, his ambition is going to to fuck him up and make him do something stupid, in my opinion. 
Uh, does the armor enable it and encourage it? I don't know. It's very hard to get a read on this person. She's very stoic. She barely moves. She doesn't make any hand gestures. She just stands there and essentially spits gospel. So I, I want to learn more about her than anyone. And maybe the foundling will give us some of that if we get the double dick, like double dick. <laughs> Ooh, hey now, give me some of that double D. <laughs> I only got one hole, but I like two. Um, <laughs> But the uh, like the fouling double dip, I think it would be cool to kind of check in with Din's past after he was accepted into the cult. And maybe you learn more about Paz and his relationship through through the past. And maybe you learn more about the armor through some of these flashbacks, potentially. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah, it's very like. And that's why after you know 40 minutes of the Pershing stuff, I was chomping at the biz. Like, can we just get back to these fuckers with the helmets? Because yeah. that is where my Star Wars brain wants to live with this series. I, I just want to learn more and more about the Mandalorian culture, their fucking problems with each other, and what they're going to do about their planet and the remnant. That, that's it. Like, that's, that's my focus. Coruscant and the cloning shit. Let's be real, people. It's interesting, but it's... It's woven into this story to justify somehow Palpatine returned. So is it really that important? <laughs> no. The important shit is the shit we don't know yet. Like, who is Armor? What's Paz's motivations? Why, why does he have such a hard-on for Din and Bo? Uh, what's going to happen with the Darksaber? What's going to happen with Mandalore? What's going to happen with Gideon and the Remnant? That's the exciting shit. Who gives a fuck about the cloning stuff? We all know where that leads. And sadly, it's not that cool. It's a guy with a big fucking head that looks like he caught on fire. And then... Palpatine hanging out on Exegol in a rotting clone corpse. Whoop de yeah. do. <laughs> so I mean, I, I I do hope that like we we I mean I think that the next episode is definitely going to be more focused on the Mando side of things, and we're not going to dive into Pershing as much anymore. I think that if we do get back to him, it'll be quick check ins later in the season, not necessarily a direct follow up in this next one, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, that. I mean, that's Pershing at this I'm point is, is useless, right? I mean, his brain literally has been turned into pudding. So he, he may, yeah. I mean, uh, Omed, his role may be over at this point. Like, does he just sit there in a chair now, like a vegetable? I don't know, but we're for damn sure going back to Coruscant. Cause we got to get the, the, the captain Teva or whatever scene where he's like, you know, there's a threat out there something's going on. Um, I put in our discord. If you want to join, go ahead. You can hit us on uh, Instagram. Just use our link tree. But someone did a supercut of all the remaining trailer scenes left. And a lot of them are the pirate attack on Navarro, which looks like the Mandos respond to. And a lot of them are Mandalorians walking around that craggy, brown, plateau-ish looking planet that they're on right now. So that very well could be what's coming up tomorrow. The Mandos walking around, kind of talking about shit, maybe getting some flashbacks about foundlings. But before we get to our predictions for episode four, we still have some Easter eggs and references to get through for Mando S3 E3. All right. So we start off here. This actually had a lot of shit in it. Uh, The TIE Interceptor. A lot of dumb motherfuckers out there like, oh, this proves Thrawn's alive. It's his type. I'm like, no, no, no. He didn't. He had nothing to do with the Interceptor. He's the fucking defender, the one with three wings, you shitheads. Okay. Yeah, tie tie defenders were his uh, his special. Yeah, get get your shit right. These are straight up interceptors. You know, I mean, they they little different. They put red lights on the inside. It's like they're angling towards the first <laughs> order look already. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of people like, oh, it's got to be Thrawn. It's his it's his ties. It's like, 
why don't people follow us again? I mean, you got Bees Mobile Auto Detailing, like, man, I love it. These idiots actually read articles so we don't have to. Yeah, that's what we do. So come on, bring all <laughs> your masses to us. We educate. Think of it as church that doesn't suck. All right? <laughs> so we got the interceptors. Who do you think they're coming from? Do you think this is uh, like a group of warlords, as, as Jean Carlo hinted at, Nick, that, you know, Gideon this season, it sounds like he's going to try to convince other warlords to get behind him? Or could this be, uh, you know, a, a, a Thrawn push? Like, hey, let's just go fuck with her. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is like, I don't know if if Bo-Katan would even be on Thrawn's radar. Like, Thrawn well, has... Because yeah. she's like, this is way more ships for a single warlord. She knows warlords hate her, right? She's been fucking with yeah. the Empire for many years. Um, so, it, I don't know. I, I don't think it's Thrawn either, but do, could it be that some of these warlords are starting to pull resources, possibly? It could be, definitely. I mean, they they see... I think it's clear now, and... Hint, they do. Hint, like... We, we, we kind of, uh, this is kind of how I opened session zero, that there is a large power vacuum in the yeah. galaxy. Like, right. it's a, there's a Especially huge Especially in, in the outer rim. I mean, it's, it's, it's back yeah. to the Wild West for the most part. Yeah. I mean, like, so, and they had all worked together before. It's not like, you know, you know, obviously within the, the Imperial superstructure, there are a lot of like, you know, competitions between different, you know, officers and stuff like that but i think at this point they could be like hey man if we all just like work together we could just take over that that would be if, funny if not, watching people like that try to work together they all want to be a oh yeah in charge all you know all right they would all they would all like i said it would be like the sith again they'd all try to kill each other oh yeah but i mean it is possible that they're just like hey if we consolidated power that we could take over what we could do is just take over this this section of the galaxy and then we could divide it up amongst ourselves however we want to after that's well, done. You notice they attacked them in Mandalorian space. So they've been they've been watching that space. And that, that's the cool thing yeah. about Mandalorian space. You got Mandalore, you got Concordon, Concordia, all the uh, Kalabala, the, all the planets are very close in a system. So it wouldn't be too hard for them to figure out, hey, Bo-Katan just left. She went to Mandalore. That's not good. We probably should kill her. We can't let Mandalorians know that they can actually go back to this planet. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, all right, next up. This was cool. I did like this. But a return to the Coruscant Opera House. Yes, the same one featured in Revenge of the Sith, where we all learn the tale of Darth Plagueis the Wise, Plagueis the Wise, and unnatural Sith abilities. Um, I, 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 I'm, a whole, I'm a big fan of these types of references. I mean, they even mimicked Anakin running up the steps when it was uh, Kane running up to go see... Uh, Pershing's TED Talk, you know, the red steps that Anakin was running up to to go watch the Mon Calamari ballet with, with Sheev. So that was all. Uh, I, I, I like those types of references, especially way back to the prequels. Uh, and there he is giving his, his TED Talk. It was kind of neat here, Nick. We, we learned for sure what he was up to, and it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily cloning individuals, it was enhancing individuals. What we've been saying all along is like they probably wanted Grogu's force blood to tie it in the soldiers, something else to make them yeah. more powerful. Yeah, like you know, he he kind of broke down his whole scientific approach is yeah. like taking pieces of of both donors and putting them together to to make, to a, make like a, you know, a, a super strand. 
yeah, I mean, essentially like a super, superhuman. Yeah. Which is like, he didn't say it in such words, but yeah, that's, that's making super soldiers. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. come on. <laughs> so it was nice to get, oh, the one thing we missed and we got to bring it up because of you, but Grogu fucking tried to say, this is the way, you know, he did when they were on the ship, they both say, this is the way together. He literally goes like, ah, yeah, ah. Like that. It's got, it's happening, buddy. That He's going to talk just for you by the end of the season. He's hey. trying. He is trying. <laughs> hey, I, I set my, I have set my boundaries for acceptable Grogu growth during this, uh, during hey, the season. He's been doing and all right. He's been doing We're all moving right. there. We're okay, moving good, in the right good. direction. Nick, Nick, moving in the he's right. still on Nick's <laughs> dartboard, but it sounds like he's moving further and further away from the bullseye. So that's good. That's good. Um, Okay. Up next, uh, I, I forget the exact moment, but we get a uh, Monotobogs of Malastare mention. And if you remember, Malastare is the home planet of Sabalba, one of the greatest pod racers of all time before he got mixed up with the Chosen One. Right. Okay, moving right along with our Easter eggs and references, we got the Mind Flare. We finally got to see the fucking thing. First time we heard about it was... Uh, I think season one, when uh, Cara Dune's like, listen, I ain't, I ain't going to get captured and, and mind flayed. Screw that shit. We heard it earlier in this episode. Like, oh, I heard Gideon got away, but no, that's just cover because they're mind flaying him. Well, now we actually got to see it. And uh, it, it's, it's kind of a cool looking device until the beams turn orange. It was like when they were blue. It was like he was tripping, right? He was like, ooh. <laughs> no, then, like he, he legitimately seemed to be like almost in a, like a euphoric state. Well, yeah, that, like that's what was, the doctor yeah. told him. He's like, hey, I've done it. This is good shit. I mean, to me, it was he's like. He's like, hey, it, it's, it's not going to be bad. Yeah. yeah, it's Star Wars oh. microdosing uh, until, you know, Kane up the level to orange and then it starts melting his brain. But either way, we got to see the mind flayer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something the New Republic took from the Empire. Way to go. All right, uh, in, in a lot of the serial scenes, when, when we get to see Pershing in his day-to-day working life, all sorts of mentions here, but we got, uh, we got to learn some days of the week in Star Wars talk, Bendu Day, Tong's Day. Uh, these were, I, I did go look it up. These are actual days of the week. I don't know if it's specific just to Coruscant because Bendu <sighs> Day is in reference to the Bendu monks on Coruscant. Tong's Day is in reference to some species that was native to the planet. Uh, but you could also argue that Bendu, we could tie it back to the actual Bendu from Star Wars Rebels. So Yeah. That's one thing that, like, it's funny, too, because as a dungeon master or, like, as somebody who's writing a Star Wars story for you guys, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to think of, like, days of the week names and stuff like that. I can't Bro. just say it's Thursday on Tatooine. Wikipedia <laughs> is, is your best. Wikipedia is your best asset. Yes. Yeah, I, I had no clue. I, when he said Happy Bendu Day, I thought it was kind of like a, a I thought holiday. it was a holiday. But no, yeah. I, I went and looked and sure shit, it's, it's, I'm guessing it's like their Friday or something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like the last day of the week, they said, the work week or something. Uh, also at his desk, you know, he's processing all these data disks, but one of the first ones laying there, it, it's the same data disk that Leia receives from the Rogue One crew in Rogue One. Uh, I'm not saying it's it's the actual Death Star plans and he's deleting them, but it, it, the, the style of the data disk is identical. Yeah. Then yeah. we had uh, lots of stuff here. I mean, Monument Plaza itself, I don't know if people know this, but it, it's featured in the special edition of Return of the Jedi. So when you see them celebrating on Coruscant, 
that is taking place in this monument plaza. As we talked, it was also featured in a, I think, a dual arc episode or a dual story arc from the Clone Wars when Satine came back to Coruscant to kind of plead for help. Uh, it got Umate got its name in the High Republic, but for the first time in live action, we, we got to go. Well, it's not the first time. Second time in live action, we got to see the full Monument Plaza, sadly, with no angles to, to show us the Jedi Temple in the background. Because if, if you look, uh, you should be able to see it from Monument Plaza, but they didn't, they didn't give us that camera angle. The next one here, Nick, when he would go in talk fuck i didn't include the image so it doesn't really matter but when he would go and talk to that droid to kind of have like his his psych eval yeah it felt very blade runnery to me in particular uh blade runner 2049 every every time k would come back from a mission they'd sit him down and be like hey they'd almost like list words to him like boop bop beep just to make sure he wasn't like psychotic and i got that vibes from Pershing's meetings with that robot. It's like they were they were scanning these amnesty people to see if they were about to kind of fall out of the program, fall off the rock or get a little goofy. Shit like yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, it's like they have them in Psyche Val. I mean, that's yeah. that's what's yeah, they have them in Psyche Val just to see like, hey, how's your mental state? This is a very different situation that you, than you were in before right. in the do empire. You like, How are you do adjusting? you like your work people? Do you like yeah. your friends? I love that shit. Uh, yeah. Okay. So back at the office, we, we got an, another little nugget when the boss was telling him like, listen, man, once we get through all the Imperial decommissioning, we, we have to have decommission the, the, the Alliance, Alliance fleet. And what yeah. he is referencing is Mon Mothma's Demilitarization Act that she enacted to wipe out 90% of the New Republic's military. Which is That's a lot. <laughs> why Leia was like, fuck you, you're stupid, started the resistance, and also why the First Order was able to rise within 30 years and literally blow the New Republic out of the fucking sky. I mean, we all remember that scene from TFA. That was the entire New Republic. Their fleet, everything, gone in one fell swoop. Yeah. I mean, like, it's it's always... Like a, an interesting conversation to have in non-war times, how much money you want, you should be dedicating to uh, like your military and, and militarization efforts. And and I guess in, in this situation, you would see like, hey, you know, like keeping some sort of standing military always ready is is probably a good idea, especially when you live in the Star Wars galaxy where, you know, peacetime only lasts, what, eight years at most? Yeah. <laughs> like, come on. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I, you could see, I guess you could see Mon Mothma's point of view. I mean, listen, she, she's yeah, been in the Senate definitely. forever. You got to remember, before the clone army was commissioned, the Republic didn't have a fucking standing army. They didn't. So yeah. she, she was trying to go back to those days. But you really can't do that after you have a Sith come through for, you know, 40 years that just fucks up the entire galaxy, disenfranchises thousands of planets. You know, little kids growing up hating this or hating that, loving this or loving that. It just, it wasn't a smart move. It's why Leia, like I said, eventually got kicked out of the Senate because she was essentially saying, like, you guys are fucking stupid. We can't go back to the days of the Republic after we lived through the Clone Wars and then the rise of the Empire. Like, listen, those days are gone. We have to have a standing army. 
We didn't, we don't know if we fully eradicated the Empire at this point in time. Hell, it took them three fucking years post the Battle of Endor to feel like they finally did wipe out most of the Empire. Um, so bad move, Mon. We still think you're sexy as fuck, though. <laughs> okay, and up next, hey, a Star Destroyer. One of the coolest looking ships in all of science fiction, even when they're getting chopped for parts. <laughs> And then uh, finally, I'm sure everyone else picked up on this, but you got the Mon Cal doctor. He's, uh, you know, very low key chill. Like, no, this is good for you. And, and that, poor yeah. Pershing's like, no, no, she set me this up. Is a trap. It was a trap. <laughs> mm-hmm. And as corny as that, that, that mean the line is now for Akbar and Mon Cal, it was, it was a perfect full circle. It, it's no longer, it it's a trap. He confirmed that, yes, it was a trap. Yeah, so it had be- to happen. Beautiful stuff there by the writers. John, you are the man. All right. So let's go ahead and get into a little bit of speculation time for tomorrow's episode. And, and this week, we actually have all sorts of ammunition. So our predictions will probably be terrible. We seem to do better when, when we don't have too many clues. And we have no direction. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the, the first clue here is this is going to be a tiny one. Um, the, the, yeah. the Twitter account that's been kind of putting out the run times has been damn near spot on. They're saying episode four is only going to be 30 minutes 30 long, minutes. which means... And that includes the, if there's a recap, the intro and the credits. So the episode itself is probably only 24 minutes long. Which is rough. I mean, we're talking like an animated episode. All right, so there's that. Then the director himself... Grief, a.k.a. Carl Weathers, a.k.a. Apollo Creed, just vomits out on Twitter, The Foundling is coming this week on Disney Plus and is directed by yours truly. So, I think we can go a few ways with what we're going to see tomorrow. Uh, if The Foundling truly is the title, which, why wouldn't it be? Yep. I yeah, think, at this point. <laughs> I, I think you're dead on in that it is going to be... Um, a, a kind of a dual type of meaning like it, it's the, the episode isn't going to be just about Grogu I think is what Nick is trying to say right yeah uh, I mean I would hope so but I, I do think if it is the fouling this is when we at least get the fucking flashback and hopefully it is there's some resolution to it and they don't cut off right when like an arm walks through that door and to extend it into season four or some shit like that so we're going to get the 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 Grogu flashback for sure. I also think based on the remaining scenes from the trailer that this could be a good episode for the the Mandalorians now that they're all one as a cult. We see them kind of walking around the planet and potentially being attacked by something because you also there are some scenes of them and their jetpacks kind of flying through those caverns on that planet. Yeah. What I would like if if Nick is correct in the duality of the title I would like to get some more Din and vis-a-vis cult history through either a flashback or a discussion about Din's time as a foundling. And, and I, could see they, I think they could do it, where they almost use Din talking about his time as a foundling to give us some lore, which then turns into a conversation about Grogu as a foundling and how he's doing and where he's been and... Where's he from? That t- you know, you could see some of the Mandalorians starting to ask Din now, like, where, what is this thing? Where'd you find them? Why does he have the powers? And that kind of kicks into the, here we go. Um, so that, I, I, but here's the crazy thing, Nick. If it's 
the Carl directed episode, he always goes for action bangers. He at least did in season two. This could also be the pirate attack on Navarro. But how does the foundling? Yeah. I, I don't mean, know. It would, it would, if it was the pirate attack on Navarro, man, w- would that be surprising? Because you would essentially have to have the pirates attack Navarro. And then you would have to some like he would have to immediately send word to Din, and then Din would have to immediately be like, "Hey, all of the people who just accepted me back into your cult, yeah, we uh, need to go. Let's floor. all go to this planet right now, <laughs> like to help we an have old to leave bounty now. hunter lord. And remember, you guys don't like being bounty hunters, so yeah, yeah I don't know. It's so. a, I mean, he maybe he meant the fouling is coming, as in Grogu's coming back to Navarro to save his ass too. You just you, you don't know with with Carl, right? You don't know. He flies, yeah. he flies fast and loose on Twitter. Uh, but I I am thinking this is going to be the flashback and more time spent with the cult, which I would love. If we're only getting twenty four twenty five minutes, and we're with the Kool Aid drinkers the whole time, good. I'm good. Yeah, good. I'd be okay I, I don't need that. any more. I don't need to touch in with Coruscant. At least until episode five at this point, after spending 30 minutes there last week. So I'm sticking with, we're getting the flashback of Grogu, and they'll somehow also give us more about Din, his journey, and the cult. Preferably some insights into who the fuck the armorer is. That's driving me nuts I hope so. now. Yeah, no, I, I, I hope it is kind of like focused on that one particular, uh, like, mystery that's still out there i mean you can't tease it and then not pay off on it and uh i mean there's only what eight episodes this season so we're hitting this is the halfway yeah we're point. at the halfway mark already we're at the halfway mark yeah. for sure yeah we're at the halfway point so we'll see um we'll see where they do but yeah i mean i agree i i do want it to be focused on the grogu story i do want it to be focused a little bit on on din's story as well because really din's foundling story has been basically like we see them rescue him from the yeah, night of a thousand away. tears. He flies away. And that's then that's it. it. And then you have no idea what happens. It's just like he gets saved. And then now he is the Mandalorian. And that yeah, was it. So and they, it, I think there's merit good. to it, right? Because we, we've said and we've kind of agreed that the armor, I wouldn't say favors him, but but she has a, a spot in her heart for him, be it a calloused yeah. heart or not. She She seems to... She seems to understand that even if he's kind of dopey, Din, Din may be the guy to get shit done. Like, he, he just seems to be in the right place at the right time a lot of the time. And also, so, like, he probably has the best connections, like, galactic connections right. of anybody that is in the bunker right now. <laughs> like, I don't yeah, know he's been, if you He's have been anybody. out and about. He's been networking. He was a bounty hunter before. Remember, they don't like yeah, bounty hunters. Yeah. Paz made it very clear. They think bounty hunter is beneath a Mandalorian. So, yeah, I mean, maybe we learn why the armor kind of has a or, or favors Din a bit or, or, or smiles upon him under her mask. But uh, I just if it's all Mandalorian stuff, I will be a, a very happy little Star Wars fanboy. I, SW props probably know who the fucking armor is, considering Emily Swallow is one of his is, clients. But yeah, she, I, I, she, she spilled the secret Think <laughs> <laughs> You think she did? I don't know. He. I would imagine he knows more than he tells us, but I'm assuming he doesn't tell us because he knows he would probably get ratted out. Yeah. Um, I don't know. We, yeah, we got to figure out us. a way to where you can like slide us secrets from your clients without you getting ratted out. 
Now that we've said that on air, even harder to do. Well, no, here, look, I'll wink, wink it away. Ready? Wink, yeah, wink it wink. away. There, see? <laughs> All right, man, it's time to get into the Bad Batch. Paboo. All right, my review's uh, over. <laughs> yeah, it was, like I, like I said to Matt before we started, it's like, this is a show for kids. I don't know what the average demographic is for this season or like what Disney knows in terms of like who is spending the most time watching the Bad Batch. But at this point, I'm kind of just like tuning out uh, of most episodes. Like I turned this one on. We had the scene at the table um, that basically outlined that this episode was going to be about like letting Omega be a kid and like letting her experience like people her age that aren't her same genetic makeup. And I was like, okay, so we're taking this one off. This is a, this is an episode off. Um, and honestly for me, it's, I, I said this in our, in our chat, like I really hope bad batch closes out strong because up to this point, it's been a pretty disappointing season. Um, likely what's happening is that they, they want the bad batch to last um, you know, maybe, maybe a series run as long as uh, clone wars. So maybe they're aiming for like a six, seven season type of deal. And the, and you really kind of have to stretch out your content. Um, but this one I essentially had on the background with, with subtitles and, and I kind of just lightly paid attention to while I was also working. Well, you so. just offended Sir Dork. He said this was one of his favorite episodes of the season. So you're wrong, I, Nick, you're wrong. I, it was just boring to me. Like, I do appreciate like the, you know, giving Omega time to be a child stuff, but also like in terms of narrative that I'm interested in, that's, that's just not it. It was useless. So. And, and, I, I'm not going to skewer the bad batch. I'm not going to burn it down to the ground because we all, we all forget. We, we, we look at the Clone Wars now with rose tinted glasses because we've, in our mind, we've cherry picked some of the amazing arcs that happened like fucking season three, four, five, and then seven after the franchise was sold. Uh, go back and watch Clone Wars season one, season two, and, and there are long stretches of those seasons where you're just like, okay, what the fuck are we doing here? Like, is anything going to happen? Anything important? And that's, you know, we're, we're all older now, and, and the Bad Batches, this season in particular, you're right, has, has really fallen into that rut of yeah just making small gains but nothing really exciting the overarching gets left for multiple episodes at a time but paboo here it really uh, i i struggle to 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 take anything positive out of it i mean to me it was a it was a pure calm before the storm type of episode uh, it was only meant to show that hey we we, we have a home now where we think we can be happy to pull the rug out from under them in episode 14 when Sid sells them out and someone probably comes and steals Omega. Uh, I mean, that, let's be real. That's what's going to happen tomorrow. It, it, it has to, or like Nick said, where's this season going? But Pabu as a whole, I'm kind of like Nick. I mean, I sat there and watched the whole thing. I didn't, I didn't, you know, I wasn't doing other things, but it was rough. Um, but we're still going to break it down. I, I, I still picked out some top moments, some Easter eggs and all that type of shit. So, uh, it's just not going to be that long because there's really not a, a ton to pontificate on here. Uh, like I said, it, it tomorrow has to be something bad happens to the group, which is going to motivate them to head towards Tantus for next week's two-part finale. 
where Pabu was kind of reserved to provide that calm, give fans and the Bad Batch a false sense of, of security unless you really know <laughs> what you're doing. I mean, just read the tea leaves. You know that things aren't going to remain all hunky-dory with their new friends on Pabu. So not not a great episode. Uh, one of the one of the least exciting, least entertaining of this season, if not the franchise, to me. Nine and ten were were pretty bad. This might have even outshone those in terms of blah. Yeah, right. yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah go just, ahead. Yeah, I, I will let you, you run know, through I mean, this. <laughs> wait, yeah, wait, wait to see, wait to hear my top moments. Then then you'll kind of you'll understand. All right, so up first, top moments. And, and I do like this. Someone clearly on the Bad Batch team is 100% a fan and student of Indiana Jones, okay? Yeah. yeah. Because the, the entire opening segment in the bar between Fee, Omega, and the boys was 100% an homage to the opening in Temple of Doom when, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Jones is wheeling and dealing with, what's his name, Loche, something like that. And, you know, all hell breaks loose. The plan doesn't go as is. Uh, they try to poison Dr. Jones. I mean, it was it was spot on, 100%. So that was neat. Uh, we've seen some other tips of the hat to Indiana Jones this season as well. Uh, and then we also, during that same scene, when the shithead opened up that secret compartment and that little uh, caterpillar wormy looking thing came out, that is a Cohoon. The same thing that Zam Wessel tried to use on Padme in Attack of the Clones. So there's your Easter eggs for you for this episode. Now into the top moments. <laughs> and yeah, I do. I do have to laugh here. Uh, but the one the one top moment I came up with and, you know, tech kind of is really coming into his self over these past few episodes. I guess you could say that, Nick. But I, I did find it notable when Wrecker was like, hey, that's the most I've ever eaten in my whole life. I'm actually full. And Tech literally whips out his fucking recorder and he's like, I'm going to go, I'm going to notate this day in history as the first day Wrecker was full. And I was like, you know what, Tech? I like that you're working on your personality, buddy. You know, you're giving us a little bit more than you have in the previous episodes and last season. So I thought that was kind of comical. When he he pulled that out, like, let me write this down for you, big guy, so we can remember and celebrate the next time you get full. <laughs> and then finally, and this is mostly because I just like them in our own real nature, but I, I'm fascinated with tsunamis. Tsunami, yeah. as George Takei would say. Tsunami. Tsun okay. I get caught up on some of his shit sometimes, but A it reinforced how visually stunning the bad batch truly is. I mean, that the, the water looked real and, you know, seeing it get sucked out, the, the, the sunlight, the, all the lighting, it looked fantastic. But like I said, I, I just, I am intrigued by tsunamis. I love that this shit happens on our own planet. The water literally pulls itself back and then just comes in with a wall of water and fucking destroys all of humanity. I love um, how, the top moment of this episode was the water looks real. Yeah. Hey, what, <laughs> hey you got to do something when you're breaking shit down, right, it, buddy? Man. You got to do something that's when you're right. breaking shit down. That, that's about, I mean, cause you're right. Cause that's about it, man. Like I, yeah. I, I tried to watch, like I turned around every now and then I was like, what's happening here? Oh, they're eating. Oh, they're on a boat. Oh, they're not doing anything. Oh, the, 
there's a tsunami coming. And yeah. I was like, so we don't even have enemies in this. No, like we don't even have was. like a bad faction. Yeah, earthquakes and water. It was fucking mother nature again was the enemy yeah. of meat bags. I was like, the, uh, but I, I did so, have a few <laughs> ha moments. Uh, I'm assuming you picked up on this or maybe you didn't because it was hard uh, to watch. Probably not because I was paying so little attention that I'm surprised right, I picked up on anything. Those that were like somewhat engaged, the, the, the fee and tech ship is sailing, right? Like, like these two have a thing for each other. Uh, I mean, I don't know if they're going to be making out by the end of the season or, or when he inevitably has to leave for Mount Tantus. But these two dig each other. She likes him. She calls him brown eyes. He likes her. He kind of hangs on her words, follows her where she goes. They had a lot of scenes together. They got close. But I'm, I'm definitely shipping feet and tech for sure after this episode. And I'm going to go ahead and fucking ship Wrecker and Shep, the big bald guy. I mean, did anyone else just see the excitement in Wrecker? From his his facial expressions to how he reacted when Shep, another large bald man, approached him. I mean, when they shook hands, he's like, oh, <laughs> and then they're sitting there eating. They're like, Ugh! they just they loved each other. I mean, look at this screen I got of them from their daring rescue when they both they were the last two up over the wall. I mean, look at Wrecker's stare at Shep. So I am shipping Wrecker and Shep. They're going to be the, the, the two gay bears of the Star Wars universe. And then the last, uh, ha, I already put it out there. Uh, Linda, one of our loyal live stream fans, agrees. And that is Sid Retribution is imminent. Okay. Oh, yeah. 100%. I mean, it, like it, that it, was, was... it was pretty much teased in this episode when she's like, hey, fuckheads, you haven't contacted me in multiple rotations. You know what I know, you know, read the room, figure it out. If, if you don't come back, I'm ratting you fuckers out. So that will happen for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like to me, that was the biggest development of this episode is that like, yeah, that and we they now found have the confirmation. That's it. Like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. It was Sid is yeah. bad, which we knew. And they, they found a home that isn't their ship. <laughs> That's why you can't yeah. call it filler, Nick, but you can definitely call it boring. Uh, and, and then, uh, oh shit, I forgot what I was going to say. Yeah, I guess that's good enough. Probably not that important, to be honest with you. Uh, yeah. But hey, I don't you know. never know. It, it, I do think the final three episodes are going to make us all feel better when everything is said They and got done. to. Yeah, they got just, to. I, I, I believe in Filoni, um, but man, you, you really got to bring it these last few episodes because if you don't, man, is what a disappointing season <laughs> is all I'll say. If, if we don't bring this home strong, I, I have would, faith. I, I do think, I mean, I don't know if you could pull up the titles real quick, but I know the last two episodes are essentially going to Mount Tantus and then plan 99, something like that. So yeah, plan, plan uh, 99 was definitely one of them. So uh, I don't uh, know what episode 14 is, but I'm telling you it's going to be Omega getting kidnapped and we might even get a check in on crosshair to see how they've mutilated him up until this point. But I think the yeah, final so, two episodes are going to be the team going to rescue their, their, their kid. Yeah, for sure. Tip it's tipping point, the summit, and then plan ninety nine. Oh, so yeah, the I summit mean, is Mount Tantus. Tipping point is probably like we were saying, yeah. she gets kidnapped, and then plan ninety nine is like whatever we wanted to do before went wrong. Let's yeah. go completely 
let's do it clone you know, force 99 is, style yeah clone force 99 is fully back because crosshair crosses the line and you know he he's back with them in some way or some, crosshair will be involved so yeah all right so there you go there's there's the bad batch breakdown usually we spend more time but time was not warranted this week yeah okay Let's get into some uh, rumors and leaks, and when they're coming from MSW, you know they're probably more than rumors, and this one is for The Mandalorian Season 3. Put it out there. We did some short videos. Thank you to those that, that checked them out and left some comments. Make sure to keep doing that, right? Like, subscribe, notify, all that fun shit. Leave a comment. But according to MSW's Jason Ward... We're going to see a new trooper design this season, and they are going to be specific to Gideon. So, Nick, in the past, we talked about how, you know, he may be using these rumored Praetorian guards. That doesn't seem to be the case. Those guards are still going to be in there. And we said, hey, don't their helmets kind of look like Mando helmets? And they kind of look like armor helmets, too. Don't forget, we said it. But Gideon is going to have his own trooper force, and they do look different. So I'm going to scroll here on the live stream if people are watching. If not, you can always go to StarWarsTime.net, or you can check out the shorts, YouTube.com slash StarWarsTimeShow. But um, you can... Oh, fuck, I didn't include the image like a dickhead. We'll just go over to Making Star Wars. Why not? It's his his leak anyways. All right, so there's the Praetorians that we we talked about many, many shows ago, and here are the new troopers. So for those that can't quite see the screen, uh, Jason had someone kind of draw out concept art for the troopers, so, the troopers. so they they more or less look like fucking Mandalorians, okay? I mean, they're, they, they still have, like, Stormtrooper buckets, but they have that, that T-visor look, kind of like mm -hmm. how early clones had, but all Mandos do. They yeah. don't have also, full body armor, right, Nick? Like, they yeah. don't have the, the, the yeah, leg pads. They don't have... Their there's no stomach protection. They mostly just have gauntlet, gauntlet, a chest piece like Mando's would, a cod piece like Mando's would, and fucking uh, ankle guards like Mando's would. I mean, they're essentially decked out like Mandalorian stormtroopers. Yeah, they're just, like, Mandalorians in, like, less effective in all-white armor. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, it's, it's supposedly gray. The armor is supposedly oh, gray. gray. So, Nick, knowing what we know about Gideon, the time he spent with the ISB on Mandalore, he had the Darksaber, he's potentially has uh, enlisted the armor to work for him. He, he clearly is in the Mandalorian in culture, right? Uh, could these be, like, former super commandos, or is this just him, again, having such a hard-on for the Mandalorian look that... Uh, with his new armor that we're supposed to see, he just wanted his troops to 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 have some uh, a new drip as well. I think that they're for sure some former Mandalorian super command or some Imperial super commandos in there because like like we, we well one we don't know what happened to all of them. We know that these weren't like run of the mill grunts that were on the battlefield for you know some standard engagements. So they had to go somewhere, and a lot of them were stationed under particular moths like they were under the discretion and under the orders of of moths and in, in in like specific generals uh in the imperial military so it would make sense that like with the fall of the empire and like some of these moths like consolidating power that they would kind of go with whoever they were already with so it would make sense that 
there were Imperial Super Commandos that fell under his command, especially considering that he had occupation of Mandalore for for a while. So yeah, remember uh, he he's supposed to be getting a new kit too, where he he's going to have a very Mandalorian esque helmet. It's going to have little horns on it, a red visor. Like this guy does, he's got a boner for their look. I mean, what does that mean? That does does he just appreciate their culture? Is he a wannabe? Did he is he a foundling himself? Who the hey, maybe maybe tomorrow the foundling is revealed as my fucking Gideon. Who knows? Could I think I, I think I'm getting way out there in like Looney Tune land, but y- you just don't know. So there is a look of Gideon's personal trooper guard right here. Like we're, we're going to see these guys in action fighting with him at some point in time. I guess, Nick, you know, we are at the halfway point. Maybe they do tease Gideon a bit in, in tomorrow's episode. I don't know. I don't know. You just don't know. Yeah, I mean. With the tease that we just got in the in this episode, like with the tease that's already kind of out there with like, oh, he escaped from the, you know, the New Republic military, then probably it would make sense to like maybe follow up on that quickly in the next episode, whether it be like a stinger at the end or like, you know, involving him a little bit more heavily in the storytelling of the next one. But I do think that we're going to get involved with Gideon again here pretty quickly. Yeah. All right. And then the next rumor that MSW dropped, and this one gets me excited, and I really do hope this is true. And in this one, he does classify as a rumor. Like a lot of times he's given direct information. This one, Jason's is like, look, there's, there's, I've seen too many people I trust saying this, so I'm going to go ahead and run the rumor. And the rumor is, is that voice actor Kevin McKidd, who also starred in Train Spotting with Ewan McGregor, doing a little heroin. Uh, but Kevin McKidd, if you don't, if you don't uh, know who that is, he was the voice actor for Fen Ra in Star Wars Rebels, or Fen Rao. And Fen Rao is actually a very cool Mandalorian character. Um, he was a part of the Protectors. Uh, he was holed up on Concord Dawn. He did not like the Empire. He was actively fighting against Gar Saxon. Gar Saxon's yeah. forces essentially wiped out his protectors. Uh, Kanan and, and the the ghost crew actually arrest him and bring him in. And, and over time, he actually starts working with the Rebel Alliance in, in a big yeah. way. I mean, he gets involved heavily he, towards, I think, season three, season four. I mean, he's there fighting with them on Mandalore to save Sabine's dad, that's so on and exactly, so yeah, forth. Yeah. So he's a huge, mm-hmm. huge Mandalorian named character. That could be making the jump, just like Bo did and Sabine's going to do, to live action. And it would be cool to have his actual voice actor, just like Katie did, make the walkover. Yeah, for sure. No, I think that would be a, a, a fantastic through line for sure. Um, so, yeah, excited to see if he makes his way in, because that would be like another... If, if Fen Rao comes in, it would be... an interesting to see like where he's allied and positioned because i would have to imagine that he was kind of more on the bo katan side of things than the uh yeah but even even more so than her though nick but i mean he sort of fully integrated into the rebel movement yeah yeah you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like he was actively working with them going on missions with them so uh, maybe that's who Captain Carson Teeve is talking to is fucking Fen Rao, who has kind of stayed in league with the New Republic. Um, but it'd just be a cool character. I've always liked the character. He's got a he, he had a cool kit, uh, you know, cool helmet, all that, all that shit. He, he's just one of those yeah. mandos that always stuck up, and, and he seemed to be 
like pilot centric too. Like I remember him going on a, a lot of flying missions for some reason. I could be making it up. You never know. But there you go. Expect a new trooper look with Gideon sometime this season, hopefully sooner than later. And let's keep our fingers crossed for this Fen Rao in the Mandalorian as being legit. Cause uh, he could be bringing a whole other Mandalorian faction into the mix, or maybe he's been, uh, maybe people have rallied around him, like Axe and Casca went to him after Bo failed. You never know, but I am, uh, I like this, and I, I do hope it plays out. Yeah, uh, no, I agree. I think that's a good move on the uh, Mandalorian side of things, and like getting this character in there for sure because I think it makes it would make sense I mean it's it's Dave's property a character I don't know if Dave fully created himself or if George gave him notes but yeah I mean it it would be it would be legit all right this next one uh, dropped recently again for making Star Wars big surprise Uh, I think we might have him on the show at some point coming up once we're out of season here uh, just to talk to him about where he gets all this shit but this one's pretty cool so this rumor if you choose to believe it, or if you choose to tune out, I don't really think you have to tune out. It's nothing like plot leaky. Um, but if you remember in Star Wars Rebels, you're, we all remember Ezra's sacrifice, right? He 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 gets on Thrawn's with the Chimera, right? He gets on the Chimera. He pulls through his ability to to use the Force with animals. Pulls in the Pergil, and they essentially pull him, Thrawn, and the Chimera out into the unknown regions. But before that, I don't know if people remember, he, he leaves his lightsaber with Sabine Wren, his green one, that he forges in between seasons. So, according to Jason over at MSW, this is Sabine's weapon of choice in the Ahsoka series, is Ezra Bridger's green lightsaber. So before people start freaking out, if you haven't seen Rebels, just understand that she is trained in blade combat by Jedi. Both Kanan and Ezra worked with her in the Darksaber to train her how to fight. Uh, And she has used Ezra's blade before. So it it would not be out of the realm of possibility that you have this Mandalorian princess babe roaming the galaxy and her new melee weapon of choice is a fucking lightsaber. Yeah, no, I mean, it makes total sense. That was some of the cool, like, you know, some of the cooler scenes in later episodes of Rebels was watching Kanan train her to use the Darksaber because I was like, after she had come into possession of it, and that was like, that was the first time where you're like, oh man, like, now now Mandalore kind of has like a way, it has a leader. Uh, obviously, that didn't stick. Um, but Well, it's also where, uh, yeah. where your most loved Darksaber canon came from and that it's not easy to wield because the, the whole the, the whole idea of, of she needed Kanan to help her was because she struggled like Din to even swing the fucking thing. And we all know Nick loves that, that fucking cannon behind the blade. Dumb, it's just such a dumb thing. <laughs> like, it's just it, it just makes no sense. But, but here's the uh, second part of this rumor. All right. So. We know Ezra doesn't have his lightsaber. We know he's been hanging out in no man's land for well over a decade at this point in time. Maybe two decades. Not two decades, but well over a decade. Mm -hmm. So uh, according to making Star Wars, in his exile, if you will, his self-exile, he has taught himself like force karate is what Jason calls it. Um, Think think like Taras Kasi, but with force powers. 
Yeah. Uh, and MSW is like, Ezra is going to be like force Hadoukening motherfuckers when, when he gets <laughs> in battles, like, like Hadouken and, and like blowing people away and, and kicking and punching, flying through the air, all using force karate as MSW said. And, and apparently in fights, you know, Sabine's going to be using the green lightsaber. He's going to be using his force karate. Jason did not know if, Sabine will relinquish it at some point or if Ezra will even want it back. So he's not saying that it's only Sabine's. He doesn't know if Ezra eventually will get the saber back. But when we first see them, you should not be surprised if in Ahsoka, Sabine is whipping that green lightsaber in combat and Ezra is doing some like PlayStation 1 Masters of the Tarascasi video game fighter style moves which, by the way, if, if no one's ever played that game, you need to go check it out. It was one of the, the greatest, shittiest Star Wars games of all time. I played so much of it my freshman year of college with, you know, roommates and whatnot. But it, it was, it's like a janky Virtua Fighters with a Star Wars skin over it. Um, <laughs> I actually think, uh, who's in it? Like, is Joda cast in? There's like some random characters in it, too. Mar- uh, Mara Jade's in it. Luke, a Tuscan, Han, Chewie, Boba. <laughs> It's good stuff. Um, so that that's pretty cool, man. I mean, I it, it all lines up to me. Like I said, I, I would have to go and verify, but I, I do think Jason's right in that Sabine does get his lightsaber before he goes and fights. Um, but that's going to be badass, seeing live-action Sabine whipping around the green lightsaber and actually having you know, Grace using it, skill using it. I think that's going to look cool as fuck. I mean... Yeah, yeah. Mandalorians with laser swords, it just looks rad, all right? It just looks rad. Okay, we're trying to move through things here because we are definitely on a clock, so apologies. All right, now it's time for the shit show wing of Star Wars, people. I know this has been on a lot of people's mind. We got asked about the opening of the show. Hopefully that listener is still here, but it's time to talk about the clusterfuck known as the Star Wars movie universe. Uh, And this one's wild, because within the span of, what, four days, we got an article from Slash Film that Nick punched up where Lindelhoff was essentially saying, like, yeah, listen, I, I've been working on the shit. I, I don't know if it's going to be good or if I'll even be attached or if it'll get made. And then just today or late last night, they're like, yeah, he's not involved in the movie at all anymore. In fact, neither is the other writer. They've both exited, but the director is is sticking around. And apparently this is still going to be announced at Celebration London. But my friends, it seems even with this Damon Lindelof project, we're still in this cycle of death with Lucasfilm and Star Wars movies where you hear about all these brilliant filmmakers and writers being attached to Star Wars, and then it usually ends in shit. And uh, it looks like we're right back here. So Nick, why don't you go ahead and, and take his quote, and then I'll cover the update that came out today. Yeah, so, so prior to... The actual exit, Lindelof said this. He said, I will just say that for reasons that I can't get into on this Sunday morning, on this day, the degree of difficulty is extremely, extremely, extremely high. If it can't be great, it shouldn't exist. That's all I'll say because I have the same association with it as you do, which is it's the first movie I saw sitting in my dad's lap four years old, May of 77. I think it's possible that sometimes when you hold something in such high reverence and esteem, you start 
to get in the kitchen and just go, maybe I shouldn't be cooking. Maybe I should just be eating. We'll just leave it at that point. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, there, there's stuff that I agree with here. Like, I agree with this. If it can't be great, it shouldn't exist. Like, if, you, if you're coming into the room and you have half-baked ideas and you don't know how they connect to everything else that's happening because there's a lot of stuff happening uh, in the Star Wars universe, even though, like, the content has been relatively sparse in terms of movies, you shouldn't be doing it. Like... Hey Nick, you so come in here, do you do you think he's saying this because he was disappointed in his own writing, or do you think he's taking the stance after Lucasfilm was like, nope, nope, hate it, fucking stupid, nope, 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 it's got to be this, 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 and this. I think that what I think that what's happening is, I mean, I hope this is not what's happening, but I think what, what's happening is that like is the same thing that happened during the trilogy, the sequel trilogy, where you have so many people that are writing things and working in a silo that they're not considering, like they are not considering as writers. And then the people that are on the other side of the coin on Lucasfilm side are not considering everything that's happening around what they're writing. Do you remember a story we talked about months ago though, where, where Damon and them said that at this, at celebration 22, they all got in a room for like two weeks and, and hashed out a plan. That's what I mean. It's like, what? Yeah. But then if you look at what happened after that, Kevin Feige's gone and Patty <laughs> Jenkins are gone. So the people that he was probably talking to are no longer there just, anymore. Yeah, I just like, listen, I mean, love them or hate them. I think Damon Lindelof has put out some pretty kick ass type of content that lives in the sci fi universe. I mean, Lost didn't end perfectly, but it was a show that enthralled the world for a few years. Um, I haven't watched his his other one, The Leftovers. I heard that's pretty well done on HBO, and I really enjoyed his take on The Watchmen. So the, I feel like the guy can write, and I feel like if he knew he was writing a Star Wars story, he would think he made it great. That's why I'm led to believe through this quote that either Lucasfilm told it wasn't great or they wanted him to include notes that he felt was going to make it not great. So he's like, you know what? I don't want to be attached to this. Because it's yeah, too I personal mean, to me, I'm fucking out of here. I think more more likely than not, they just told him to like, hey, we don't like it. All like, right. and you know, I, I I don't know. I mean, like the rumor was that it was supposed to be a post episode nine film. I think that like, I think that the problem post episode nine is you really have to have multiple things lined up. You can't just have like one thing. Like you you need to have a plan for how post episode nine content goes. Not just in terms of like, hey, this is one movie that can take place after episode nine. Like you have to have your entire content lineup planned. Like you have to have shows for post episode nine ready. You have to have movies for post episode nine ready. Not just one movie, multiple. Like you have to figure out what is the story after episode nine. Not just like, here's something that we can say happens after episode nine. So I feel like more than likely what happened is like Lindelof had this idea. It's like, Hey, this would be a really cool thing to do after episode nine. But then Disney and Lucasfilm were like, Hey, this may be a great idea. And this, this could be a great idea, but we need more than just this. Like we can't just do, here's a one movie thing after episode nine. And then bye-bye Damon Lindelof. Like we need like consistent content that is ready to go. And honestly, like, He's right. Like he's right. If your idea is not great or if like if there's no continuation that that can be had after it, then it shouldn't exist. Um, yeah, and I, I also I, do I, think I, that a part of it is just like 
extreme pressure. Like these yeah. people who are coming into the Star Wars movie universe now have more pressure than ever to well, make it I, it's truly been like amazing. What a lot of fans have been saying, and, and maybe even you at some point, but if if you're a creative and you look and you look at the history of creatives trying to work with Lucasfilm on Star Wars, it's probably not something you want to get involved in at this point no. in time because. I have a graphic up on the the live stream right now, and uh, again, if you're if you're doing the podcast only Star Wars time not net, you'll find it. Uh, and this came from our boy Tones in our Discord. He didn't create it. I don't know where I'm hot linking it from. Who gives a shit? But if you look at it, it, it it's pretty shocking to to see Disney's track record with Star Wars projects. So. In the completed Disney Star Wars section, it's only The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, and by that they mean. The people they hired, without changes. yeah, the people they actually hired to direct and write actually finished it. So only two. Here's all the other shit. Ready? Did not complete. Gareth Edwards, Rogue One. It had to be rewritten and reshot by Tony Gilroy. Josh Trank, Boba Fett, canceled. Lord and Miller, Solo, reshot by Ron Howard. Colin Trevorrow, Duel of the Fates, Episode Nine, rewritten by J.J. Abrams and Chris Terrio. Stephen Daldry, Obi Wan Kenobi, became a Disney Plus show. James Mangold, Boba Fett, became a Disney Plus show. Benny Offen Weiss, Untitled Jedi prequel, canceled. Patty Jenkins, Rogue Squadron, canceled. J.D. Dillard, Untitled film, canceled. Kevin Feige and Michael Waldron, Untitled film, canceled. Damon Lindelof and Justin. Britt Gibson, untitled post episode nine film replaced by unknown writer. It's like, my God, you have the Star Wars license people. Like, and, and, and a lot of money to, to organize people and, and, and get creatives, the right creatives to tell these stories on the silver screen. It's wild, man. Wild. Hey, I mean, this is why George sold it because it's, it's not easy to make a good Star Wars movie. Like it's hard and George failed a lot. The the stress, man. You're right. He's like, fuck it. It just ain't worth it. And I think he, he kind of came to that. He's like, it's just, it's not, it's not worth getting my teeth kicked in over this shit anymore. And it's a ton of work. It takes up years and years of my life when I cook this stuff up. So, and especially now given like the, the idiocy that happens on the internet at any time, any movie releases, not even just a star Wars movie anymore. Is it like, is it, is it really worth your, like, you really have to judge, like, is it, is it worth the harassment? Is it worth the hate? Is it worth the potential of not working again in Hollywood to make a Star Wars movie? Like, is it worth it for you? Just, just take the Ryan Johnson route, do Star Wars, do an okay one to most people, then get offered a trilogy, then just disappear and create your own franchise and then never have to come yeah. back to Star Wars. I mean, because here's the reality of the fact, too, is that like a lot of these things that that like a lot of these stories that you could write as Star Wars stories, you could do as standalone sci fi projects. I mean, that's what Abrams did with this new thing coming out on Netflix soon. Right. What is it? Rebel Moon? Like uh, that. Rebel I think Moon. that's Snyder. Or Snyder, whatever. Like Snyder, like I've I've heard like reviews, like you know, insider reviews of that, just being like, yeah, he just wrote Star Wars without having the title. Sweet, like, I'm all for it, man. I mean, I'm I'm all right with knockoffs, but it just is. It's like, and and apparently, I mean, we know there's a panel at celebration for the Lucasfilm showcase. We should get something, but even then, if we get something, who's gonna believe it at this point in time? Who's gonna believe it? 
And don't don't yeah, be like, I mean, oh, if they if they roll out a graphic, it's legit. Fuck you. They've done that for for Rogue Squadron. Yeah, they they cut a goddamn like sizzle reel video for Rogue promo. Squadron. They like, put they put with, Patty with, in the orange jumpsuit. Yeah, I mean they had an X wing. They like CGI'd an <laughs> X wing on a landing pad. Yeah. Like, trust me, that doesn't mean anything. Oh, hey, real quick, <laughs> now I now I just remembered canceled shit. I I think the reason why the Pershing thing was so long and kind of felt crowbarred in between the Mando bookends is I believe that was probably a part of Rangers of the New Republic. And remember, Probably. remember, KK was like, listen, yeah, Rangers is pretty much dead, but we are going to incorporate some of these stories into the, the Mandalorian, so on and so oh, forth. Yeah. All right. So there you go. I just Definitely. had Definitely. to get that out there. It's like, there's no way they, they wrote that or John wrote that as the original episode. I guarantee you he grabbed some Rangers script stuff and like, oh, yeah, we'll do it. It fits here. We'll just show the Mandos kicking ass and then we'll take a pause for 30 minutes, do some Rangers New Republic, and then we'll get back to Din and Bo. All right. Yeah, yeah. No. So yeah, no. I mean, this shouldn't surprise any longtime Star Wars fan or anyone that's kind of in the know these days. Uh, Lucasfilm, the film part is completely fucking busted. Um, they're doing okay with the with the small films, the TV stuff, but silver screen shit. Don't don't hold your breath anymore. Don't believe anything literally until a movie theater is pre-ordering tickets. Okay. Yeah. That's where yeah. we're at now. Um, like until you get a. I don't even want to say a trailer. Like I'm even that cautious at this point. It's like until movie theaters start putting up all the fucking cardboard promo and posters and pre-sales. Don't, don't buy a star Wars movies coming. Honestly, like I, at this point, I, I, I would rather it just be like, Hey, the next star Wars movie is going to be the, the, like the, the Mando verse end game movie. Like just, just like, just, Put it out there and just be like, look, we're, we're putting a pause on the movie universe and we're going to allow, uh, you know, the next entry into the silver screen to be like the, the big culmination of the. I, I mean, uh, in the end, the it, if stuff. you had people like us running this shit, it would be perfect. I mean, I, I'd, I'd have Darth Vader shows, Darth Vader movies. I mean, I think they try to overthink it at some point in time. It's just like, listen, it's Star Wars. You know what to do. Just do it. I mean, look, look at the success you had with a, a no-name character in a fucking silver Mandalorian helmet. People like cool-looking shit. You throw Vader on there, you're going to get an audience. You're going to get interest. Yeah. Whatever. We don't know shit. Everything's got to be all, all hoity-toity and special and perfect and writer's rooms and group sessions, this, that, and the other thing. All right, real quick before fan segment here. Fans of the Daniels. The people that just cleaned house at the Oscars with everything, everywhere, all at once have been revealed to uh, have worked on Skeleton Crew. So that's pretty cool. Um, I know some people don't quite enjoy that movie. I I think it earned every goddamn Oscar it got. And I, I said that last year where the first time I saw it. I was like, this is one of the greatest fucking movies I've ever seen. It, it destroys me inside because it reminds me of my fucked up family and relationship with my dad. But it also had kind of easy to follow multiverse shit um so if you like the daniels you like their brand i mean obviously they probably didn't write anything but if you like the way they direct who knows maybe you'll get some hot dog fingers in skeleton crew so that was more <laughs> of a, a psa for you but i was surprised like how many people did not like everything everywhere it's like how, how could you not like that or understand it that movie is beautiful i i, I thought it was good it didn't like i i wasn't like fawning over it 
but I thought it was enjoyable. Yeah, well, um, Nick, you had a healthy upbringing. Like, you, it seems like you had like a good family life. Like me, I'm, I'm, I realize the older I get that I, I have a lot of baggage. And it's not like we grew up poor or anything. I just, my dad was not around. And when he was around, he was kind of a fucking tear. And I, you know, I'm coming to terms with some of that shit. And when I watch a movie like this where her dad's like such a cocksucker and then she finally stands up to him, I, it resonates with someone like me. Uh, but I, I think they deserved every goddamn award they got. And as much as I love this man, Howard Stern and Robin Quivers are 100% wrong about this movie. And I question their intelligence. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's get into the fan segment, motherfuckers. All right. We do it every week. We got two, two segments to the fan segment. How do you like that English? We start with the question of the week. You can always find the prompt on our Instagram at Star Wars Time Show. So let's go ahead and switch back to our main screen. Get some of these screens flipped around. There we go. All right, so like I said, we posted on Tuesdays. Go to at Star Wars Time Show on Instagram. Look at our stories. Look in the profile grid and then respond. Uh, I know Instagram doesn't really share content with anyone anymore, so make sure to notify our account there so you can see it because let's be real, we pretty much read the same responses from the same fans every week uh, because they must click on our content enough that the algo shows it to them. But anyways, here we are. The question, as it's been since the turn of the year, what was your favorite or least <laughs> favorite part from The Mandalorian, The Convert, and or The Bad Batch Pabu? Okay, let's see what the fans had to say. USA Baseball. <laughs> nah, I haven't really got into the World Baseball Classic. It's just not my thing anymore. Baseball gets too boring unless you're there and you're drinking beer. Uh, when Nick said Endgame, though, we just watched Infinity War and Endgame. Those movies still stand up. They're fucking great. I still cried again with Iron Man Snap. They're fantastic. Plus, amazing. May have been the first time I watched Endgame on a bit more than a microdose, and it was one of the most fun times I've ever had in my adult <laughs> life. <laughs> Sitting there with Charlie and what? I'm just like fucking smiling and I cheese every once in a while. I was looking at my phone. I was like, holy shit. I think I took more than I'm supposed to. But boy, did it make that movie even more emotional. But I also don't even feel like I watched it. So I'll probably have to do it again. <laughs> Anyways, here we go. First, re- first reply from Jasper on Instagram. Not much going on in Pabu. We agree. Thank you, Jasper, Correct. for your thoughts. <laughs> Up next, our boy Kevin I like the double meaning of convert and its ambiguity. Did G48 yep. actually convert? No, it was Pershing. Me thinks not. Same for Bo, who I think is playing the long game. I did too until I heard from Katie. I do think Bo is just kind of like, hey, I'm, I'm, just I, I need to fucking chill place. out for a little bit. I need to chill out for a little bit. And then here's his response to Bad Batch. And I thought Bad Batch was trash this week. So. Okay. Well, that's yeah. co- common response. Yep. So, all right, Nick, not, you, not just you, Kevin. I got these. This one's from Press Pause Photography, one of our favorite photographers out there in the Star Wars universe. It says, small thing, maybe, but I love seeing the mountain peak on Coruscant and contextualize just how deep Coruscant's layers go. All sorts of things now come to mind. For example, on Earth, nearly 100% of our resources come from the Earth itself. For Coruscant to cover the planet in that many layers upon layers, then surely a large mass of resources had to come from other planets. How Holy does that shit, affect gravity? This guy. Has it changed over time? Did the circumference of the planet increase? It must have, right? 
sort of silly things to consider when thinking about Star Wars, but I love how that small detail on Coruscant could get my gears churning on ideas about the world. Press pause. I'll give you this really quickly. In the old EU, there was an atmospheric uh, uh, sphere or dome around the entire planet of Coruscant just for that reason. Uh, that See, has dude, not been recanonized. That's why we like go. press pause, aka Connor. I mean, it, that it's just like me. I mean, I, I was like to say, I was like, "Whoa, there's a mountain on Coruscant." <laughs> I was like, "What about what about this and that and this and that?" That's what I was trying to say. He just explained it much more eloquently. Strong yeah, Island Z finest twenty three doesn't think Rogu was trying to say this is a way. I feel he sensed danger through the force and was trying to warn them, but obviously, I don't know. I'm I'm going with he tried to say this is a way. Okay. Maybe who knows if he said if that's his first words we'll know we'll it's find gotta out be it's gotta you season. know it is you know it is it's gotta be it's gotta be all right next up Carl P photography he says love the Mandalorian and really like that uh really like that are more making more time for character development the less said about the Bad Batch episode the better which is a pity as I really enjoyed the one before. <laughs> See? Everybody. Listen, I'm the biggest fucking positive Star Wars guy on the planet. And even I struggled to like keep a smile talking about Pabu. I mean, it, it just wasn't good. It just wasn't. Yeah. Sorry, Sir Dork. Uh, you're allowed to love it. We don't hate you, but man. Yeah, so let's say, man, Jared, you're really outnumbered here, bro. That's saying in the <laughs> chat, did you guys touch on Pabu as supposed to be on Scarif? I, I didn't. I, I don't, don't know. Care. Where, where'd that come from? But who, uh, yeah, who I knows? Know. I mean, if it. If reveal your cool, reveal your sources. Reveal yeah, your reveal sources, your... and then I'll 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 give final judgment. <laughs> All, All right. right, and last one up here for the question of the week responses. Tone says intriguing episode about Mando. I really enjoyed the espionage themes to it. The opening was absolutely incredible, and then visually, the rest on Coruscant was stunning as well as the way that it played out and how the remnant used Pershing to acquire the old cloning technology and bow back in the clan. Uh, all in all, a good but different feeling episode. BB, absolutely love the nod to the beginning of the Indy Jones and in Temple of Doom with the trade off at the table in the bar. So good. The rest hmm, seemed a little weak in places, but obviously that haven may turn out to be their home eventually. Time will tell. Uh, yeah, so good responses there. Definitely agree that the rest of the BB episode seemed a little bit weak. And it is interesting that, uh, yeah, they, they essentially used... Pershing to get their cloning tech back. So good stuff there from our question responders. Um, if you want to get involved in this next segment of our show, which is the top five Star Wars fan artist features of the week, make sure to follow us on Instagram. Uh, if you're posting Star Wars art, add tag on Instagram and then tag us Star Wars Time Show at Star Wars Time Show in your post body and then put the hashtag Star Wars yeah, you Time got, Show. You got to use ad tag there people. as well. Every, every one of you uses use this platform. I see you all now like, oh, my posts disappear after minutes on a tag. It's just that's what it is. So ad tag. Thank you. Ad tag. All right. Who we got first? Thank you. First up is at Manny underscore Johnson oh, yeah, 69. And look, look at this. We don't get many badass Leia shots, but this is the definition of a badass Leia shot. So we see her just laying waste to uh, Imperial stormtroopers. You got a scout trooper flying through the air as his speeder bike explodes. And what she's doing, what is she doing? She's walking away from oh, yeah. the explosion without looking like a badass does. Yeah, so, no, I, I'm with you. I, I like the little accoutrements he added to this Leia figure. This is definitely a kit bash. 
I mean, she's got like some of her Hoth costume on, a different head, a vest. I just, you know, I love, I love when uh, customizers, photographers kind of mix parts together to, to kind of make a new version of a character. So yeah, pretty cool stuff here. Great effects, good looking shot. I'll take a Boss Leia uh, pick any day. Yeah. So at Manny fantastic underscore Johnson sixty nine. Absolutely. Fantastic di- uh, diorama he's using too. It looks very realistic. Good stuff. Next up is at Mister Dot Jedi with. I mean, this is like almost like a heart wrenching, like imperial <laughs> yeah, wartime like, photo. Like I, I saw this and I was like, oh my gosh, this is just like, this is like some, some like real wartime reporting. Um, so what you see here is a downed imperial commander or imperial radio operator. And he's essentially being uh, mourned by his <laughs> imperial friends. I mean, you see, it's a scout, uh, the scout trooper. trooper. He's got his hand on his back, like, oh, yeah, man. just like uh, saying his his it's last right, goodbyes. It's all right, Bob. Yeah. You did well. Uh, and you also see a, a, a mortar trooper in the background with his mortar tube there, and then a bunch of other imperials in the background as well as this, as as their friend lay dead on the battlefield. I mean, this was. Truly pulling at the heartstrings from at uh, Mr. Doc yeah, it's, it's a good thing they didn't do this around Darth Vader or Palpatine or he would have fucking killed yeah. them all. So, um, yeah, I'm guessing like, you can't stop. I'm guessing this Not was a theater of war far, far away from the two Sith. Indeed. Indeed. So uh, good stuff at Mr. Dot Jedi on the IG. Uh, next up is I mean, yeah. one of our favorite Real ass painters, as we call them here on the Star Wars Time Show. Uh, this is at Daz Tibbles at D A Z T I B B L E S, and uh, he's got he's got the the leader of the night owls, Bo Katan herself, just in full action pose, looking uh, menacing in her Mandalorian armor. So we see a full like full body shot, both uh, blasters out and blasting. And in his signature Daz Tibble style, which always looks incredible. It just is, um, man. Yeah, it's... it's I've, and then I've, I love, too, in, like, the background, how it, it kind of has, like, a, a version of her helmet superimposed in the background. Or it's not really her helmet, but, it's like... It's the Night Owl, you can see, right? It's the yeah, Night Owl the, logo. the Night Owl itself superimposed onto the background. You did notice Paz was like, what are you doing here, Night Owl? So, I mean, he knows of that yeah. faction for sure. Um, he, yeah, I, he, Oh, yeah, Paz... Paz got no love loss for for her for sure. Daz, speaking about Daz Tibbles, I've followed this guy even before the Star Wars Time Show. I mean, I, I've been on this dude's radar when I was running Entertainment Buddha. I've always been a fan of geek art, especially Star Wars. And this dude is, as Nick said, a top notch real ass painter. I mean, he's up there with our boy, at least in our hearts, super scoundrel. I love his style too. But Daz is another style that just is like titties. So kick ass, yeah. Daz. And- love the shit. Keep them coming. Fantastic. Uh, next up in the top five is Darth Ranzakar. I believe this might be a first time feature for Darth Ranzakar, but it is a fantastic. Uh, I, I'll call this a, like a semi scene recreation shot from episode one, where we see the uh, the I guess it would be CIS probe droid or whatever. No, that, probe that's, droid that's that, Maul's Sith probe droid. Like, I think that's what Sith probe droid. Yeah. yeah. That's, what, that's what I thought. I was like, I was unsure. I was like, is this CIS tech? Is this Sith tech? Whatever. But it's the probe droid that he has with him on uh, Tatooine in episode one, when he jumps uh, Qui-Gon Jinn on their way back to the uh, starship. 
Um, it's just a fantastic shot, low angle shot, seeing Maul's face completely in, you know, with his hood up, robe on, with the probe droid next to him. Um, just excellent captured visage of episode one Maul here. Yeah, it is. I mean, this this is one of my probably top five hot toy figures, the TPM Darth Maul. It's fucking fantastic. It's got the rolly eyes, the cloak. He just looks perfect. All right. Speaking of Darth Maul, Ray Park, or yeah, Ray is having a rough time. All right. I, I don't know if you've seen him on Instagram, but like within the last week, he had like a big drunken rant about his wife and then he had a big apology post. There, there, mm. There's a reason we haven't seen Ray back as Darth Maul. His, his, his life seems to be a bit fucked up and I feel bad for him. But yeah, this figure looks just like him. So I guess you got that. <laughs> and it, it is a good shot. I, I can't. I do think this is Digirama, but it's a very well done blend that it makes it hard to tell if this is natural light or not. But I think some of the backlight on that probe droid is definitely coming from a monitor. Um, yeah, but like yeah. you, I, I appreciate that that low angle perspective. It's it's a great perspective mm-hmm. for this shot. So job well done Absolutely. at Darth Ran Zakar. Good stuff. And the final entry into this week's top five is from at jmr underscore diorama i also believe that this is the first time feature and what we see here is a high angle shot uh a bird's eye view the, as they say yeah a bird's eye view of the the sarlacc pit and the uh shenanigans that were about to go down as we see uh mr luke skywalker himself as he's standing on the edge of the gangplank about to to pull his moves and steal his lightsaber uh back out of the the guts of r2d2 um and we also see on the skiff everybody else who is involved you have uh you know you can see the the uh, bird's eye view of mr lando calrissian in his costume you see uh han and chewie there as well plus the two pirates and the driver that were all on the skiff as all of this madness above the sarlacc pit was about to go down um, and you also get to see a representation of the Sarlacc itself. So I just thought that this was a really cool yeah, angle for great. this shot. And then uh, it was just, just very well executed from uh, yeah, at dude, JMR anytime, anytime I see this scene, either in the movie or this great recreation from JMR underscore diorama, I am reminded of a conversation I had back when I was in first grade. With this, you know, I hate to say it, but my mom worked, so I had to get dropped off at another lady's house before school. And she also had a son that was in my grade, but let's just say he wasn't a very popular kid. Kind of a, a, a dork, that a weirdo that people make fun of. But I had to play with him because I was a nice guy, but whatever. But we, we used to play Star Wars, and, and he would always insist that Jabba the Hutt said, push him into the poison when it's move him into position. And I used to, it used to drive me fucking nuts. Even as a six-year-old, I'd be like, dude, that's not what he fucking says. Like, it literally comes up. It's move him into position. So there is a random note of nothingness from my brain for you all to stew <laughs> on. But this shot reminded me of that random stupid memory. So I had to get it out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. I mean, all you got to do is read what's on the screen. Move him into right? position! Brando. But anyway, good stuff here. Good stuff here from at JMR Diorama. And uh, 
That's the end of our top five for this week. And that's the end of our show for that's this right. week. Damn Skippy. Hopefully next week we come back with a strong Bad Batch episode. Yeah. Pabu uh, was kind of a bummer, man. Definitely sucked some of the excitement out of today's breakdown. But we got through. We we, we tore it up. We, we let the fans know what they needed to know. But more importantly, we got the fouling coming at us tomorrow. For those fans that hate us because we broadcast so late, we're sorry. But we just hope you stick around and, and, and listen for our opinions a week later. Or like I said, every Wednesday, I'm probably one of the first assholes that gets content out for the new stuff. And besides, if we did the show on Wednesday, how many of you would actually be able to watch it before we start broadcasting at 5? So get over it. It's Disney's fucking fault for moving the day to Wednesday. Stupid. Which shouldn't surprise any of us. And I usually don't like to talk this way, but Disney is starting to get kind of fucking stupid when it comes to Star Wars and some of the other decisions they've made. Bob! <laughs> but Nick's right. It's time to go. He's got to get the hell out of here and have a nice dinner. So we're going to say goodbye. Just don't forget, in between shows, you can always find us and our content and all the links you need to know over on StarWarsTime.net. That's right, StarWarsTime.net. You can find it on any browser connected to the internet. From there, you can get our podcast links, and we'd love for you, even if you're a live streamer only, go ahead and sub on a podcast platform for us. Pad our numbers. More importantly, leave some reviews and ratings. That is as good as gold. Uh, This week, I'm trying something new. I've been messing around with stream elements or something like that. So there may be a a tip link in this video's description. I have no idea if it worked or not, but we're going to try that shit too. Because it seems to me that people that charge for content get bigger audiences because I guess the audience thinks that if they're charging for it, it must be fucking good. So our content kicks ass. If you want to tip us, hit that link down in this video's description. And you better have been doing what the button tells you I'm going to hit right now throughout the live stream, and that is like share, subscribe, and turn on notifications for at Star Wars Time Show on YouTube. If you're watching right now, hit smash those like buttons, sub up if you're not a sub, leave a comment, because we're going to start honoring you people with these overlays that I'm getting mixed up in. We'll, We'll say, hey, look, new followers, and we will speak your names. So keep it up, StarWarsTime.net. There's always time for Star Wars Time. You know it. Brando, we love you. You bought a hat. Way to go. Um, but yeah, we'll see you next week or in discord tomorrow to talk about Mandalorian bad batch. I love, you know, I know bat gets in there, Nova tones, come one, come all to the star Wars time show discord. So we can chat some star Wars content right after it drops and we watch it. And while you're thinking about star Wars time, just remember if you listen to the star Wars time show, the force will be with you always.